are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington, and joining me once again, Mr. Kevin Durso. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Kevin, the Flyers have a president of hockey ops. They do? And it's not... And it's not any of these names we heard. There weren't even a ton of names floating around, but we heard a few. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron, Fr- not Ron Francis. Um, who am I thinking of? Um, Doug Wilson was Doug a name Wilson. that was floating yeah. around. Uh, Ron Francis, Doug Wilson. They're the same player. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was a name that floated around. And it turns out a name, a name floated around starting about Wednesday-ish. And by Friday, it had gotten the steam that uh, Keith Jones has been named as the president of Hockey Ops for the Philadelphia Flyers. And in a joint statement that surprised absolutely zero people, uh, the interim tag was removed from Danny Briere. He is the Philadelphia Flyers' full-time GM moving forward. Uh, that is something we all expected. Uh, mm-hmm. Keith Jones, though, is not something that a lot of people expected. Kevin, when did you first hear about this, and, and where did this come from? Same time that everybody else seemed to, for the most part. I mean, th- there was some talk, uh, I'm trying to think of, who exactly said it first or whatever. The I think Eli- I heard it was Elliot Friedman on 30. Well, I months. think that Elliot Friedman had, that's not the first place I heard Keith Jones. The first okay. place I heard Keith Jones from was Frank Sarvalli. Okay. Um, what Shocker. I heard from Elliot Friedman, if I'm not mistaken, kind of as the week built up was there. They like at the beginning, there were a lot of names floated out there. This guy could be considered. This person could be considered. We had, you know, you had the two assistants from Vancouver that, you know, Emily Castingay, Cami Granado. So it wasn't like it wasn't just guys. Let's like right. let's make that clear. Fair enough. Um, and Friedman said something along the lines of there's all this information out there. They've kind of gotten it more under wraps and there's possible candidates out there that we don't know. Yeah. That we just know that there's a lot of activity. They're nearing the finish line with this. And there's possibly something we don't know. And I think that this, the only hint of this that I think existed was let's not forget the other name that was really floated around from the beginning almost, which was Eddie Olchek, which is a very similar vein to Keith Jones. Let's be real. They were, were uh, hell, they were on the same broadcast team on the same network. You know, during the playoffs. So it's, you know, that part's not really shocking. It's, it's kind of the, it it was kind of the, I guess the sudden nature of which this is, these are the two finalists. And then boom, here it is. It's Keith Jones. I think, you know, I think it became more obvious once we, once it was realized that Keith Jones is in, was in this that it was going that direction more. I, I like I couldn't envision a world where bet- with you know if the choice is between Keith Jones and Ed Olchek, that Ed Olchek is somehow or other going to win out on that. I just couldn't envision that Not happening. I like I, believe me. I actually thought like. And we hadn't talked much, or not talked much. We hadn't done a show, is what I kind of am referring to. You know, we had a couple we had a couple weeks, right? So, in a couple weeks' time. Most of the names that were out there had faded away, and Eddie Olchek's name was becoming more and more prevalent, actually. So I kind of actually thought maybe as early as a, you know, maybe roughly as close as a week before the announcement came, that it was going to be him. I really kind of thought that was the direction we were headed because remember what I told you last time we on our last show that it there's this concept that they're looking for, and I think it became very apparent when, and we'll get into the press conference and all that. It became very apparent they're looking for somebody who can bridge the gap between everybody, right? 
that it ha- this is not just about you're president of hockey operations and you make decisions. It's not just that. It's bridge the gap to business, bridge the gap to the fans, you know, all of that. And if you're looking for somebody who's a communicator, then, you know, you can do worse than someone who's been broadcasting for 20 some odd years. Yep. You know, 23 years in broadcasting, 17 in the booth. Um, It's certainly interesting. It's an interesting note if you think about it, that Comcast hires Jones from NBC. It's all kind of in the same family here. Um, It's a bit of an inbred promotion. We, We expect no different out of the Philadelphia Flyers, to be honest. Uh, which kind of gets me to the main point. Now, the big headline kind of coming out of this day where we got these media announcements was that it's two former Flyers. Right. And it is and it isn't. You know, I mean, yes, both guys wore the orange and black, etc. Ask a random fan how long Keith Jones is a Philadelphia Flyer. Now, I'm sure you probably know it. If you didn't know before Friday, you've I'm sure you've heard since Friday Keith Jones played in Philadelphia for 131 games over the span of two and a half, three seasons. Mm-hmm. At the end of his career. Right. Keith Jones, Keith Jones is not a Philadelphia Flyer. He's a guy who ended up in Philly. Danny Briere obviously was in Philadelphia a little bit longer, a little bit more substantial line of work, um, a little bit more playoff success. Uh, <laughs> Just a little, don't you think? <laughs> more playoff success than anybody not named Leon Dreisaitl. We'll get into them later. Um, so it's a little bit different, but if you ask a lot of people and especially a lot of people in upstate New York, Danny Briere is a Buffalo Sabre. When you think about the player, we've talked about this being a problem in this organization before that, you know, we keep hiring the flyer, same old guys and keep recycling the same stuff. And this is not that, uh, that being said, um, Personally, I'm thrilled about the Danny Briere. You know, I don't even want to call it a hire. He's been the GM for three months. In all, in all honesty, um, let's make something very clear because this really is an easy thing to say about Briere because they all flat out said it. There was nobody else considered. No, it's it's been his job since he got it. And when it really, I think the only question was depending on who they hired for the president role, that person was, I guess, going to be able to potentially sit there and say. I want to go in a different direction. Obviously, Keith Jones does not have an objection here. You know that John Tortorella, you know that John Tortorella doesn't. So it's, it seems pretty obvious. I mean, like that's why it was so obvious that it was going to be his job because ultimately when it came down to it, there was no speculation on anything else. Nobody else, nobody else had the job straight up, you know, nobody got interviewed. Nobody got involved in the process. It's been his since day since the day that Chuck Fletcher got fired. And frankly, everything we've heard out of him has been again, he's still continuing to deliver the right message that, you know, it's gonna be a process. He's remained consistent. Yep. You gotta give him that. Absolutely. And Keith Jones came in and, you know, echoed that same message and everyone is on board here. It it certainly seems and again, when you hire a guy who spent the last you know, most of the last seventeen seasons across the you know, across the arena level from you, it's pretty easy to get everyone on the same page. And it seems like that's what the Flyers have here. And it's going to depend, and this is something that I've, you know, said on the off the air and I've said in, you know, text message in various forms. Does this matter? 
will this lead to a change in the way the Flyers organization has been going over the last uh, decade and a half or so? Mm-hmm. Roughly since the 2010 Cup run. Um, and the answer to that question is, well, it depends. Because it seems as though things are trending in the right direction. But until we get word, officially or unofficially, mm-hmm. that Bob Clark, Paul Holmgren, and Bill Barber are no longer in the front office, uh, the press release concerned me, but just some weird lines about addressing the the old wise men. It was, it was a strange press release. Um, but assuming they are gone, assuming... Okay, I don't really care... Honestly, I don't I don't even know if I really care if they hang out for a little longer over the summer, as long as they don't have any real potential input. But as long as it's clear to everybody that they're gone by the time the season starts, I think we're moving in the right direction here. Quite frankly, I hope they're gone tomorrow. I hope they're not involved in the draft process or the free agent process or the trading process or any of the above, or else... You know, don't give Bob Clark more ammo to go bitch on a podcast about, but that's a whole different thing. Um, Don't let him into your draft conversations. But if they are there, it should certainly be with the understanding that they won't be there for very much longer. Um, And if that doesn't happen, if, if we go into next season and these guys are still there, I don't expect long term change. And all that's fair. Um, I assume the release you're talking about was the New Era release, not the... It's a New Era of Orange, Kevin. (laughs) Look, I'm shaking my head at that one because of the fact that this this franchise has really come up with some head-scratching mottos over the years. Fly or die will just go down in history. Fly or die is the best of all time, and you you cannot convince me otherwise. (laughs) Here's... Like, I'm curious to know, like, kind of what lines you're pointing out, so to speak. Um, Because I'm just trying to look at it, and it's just, you know, I'm like, I have the statement or the new era of orange, welcome to the new era of orange, you know, that kind of thing in there. Um, Um, Yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't that press release. It was the article that went along with it. So Um, you're talking about the, um, I guess you're talking about stuff from the statement of the actual announcement then. Yes. So in other words, hearing things like, I, I got to imagine it's about things like, you know, talking about storied histories and, um, you know, I guess I, I know there were lines about not looking, you know, away from the past, but also, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find it, but it, it, like, I remember me, it said, uh, I think it was the dawn of a new era is, is the, the one it was. Yes, it was. Criticism. This is a quote directly from the statement. The statement is titled the dawn of a new era. Jones and Breer added a flyers front office posted by Brian Smith. Shout out to Brian Smith. It's great writing. Um, criticism is out there that again, the flyers have again. No, never mind. It wasn't that one. I'm sorry. It was. Okay. And that takes us to the notion, the recent notion of wise men and advisors controlling things and keeping the Flyers like they were in the past. All of that is a myth. The Flyers have act, a very active and passionate alumni, some of whom have worked for the team. 
But the idea that alumni are sitting around in Voorhees telling people what to do is pure fiction. Yes, they are available for opinion on a given topic if anyone asks for it. Anyone in any business leadership position will turn to people they trust for advice on any given situation, and any Flyers executive or staffer would be foolish not to reach out for pertinent advice from two people who have combined for nearly a hundred years of service to the organization because of some false perception that they have a level of influence that they don't. But make no mistake, final decisions on anything, whether made by Briere, Jones, Hoferty, Camillo, or Tortorella, will be made by those individuals or that group alone. Um, but yes, they actually wrote in, in an article on the team's website that presumably was approved by the team. <laughs> they really wrote that last paragraph. The idea that alumni are sitting around in Voorhees telling people what to do is pure fiction. I mean, and then you I, immediately go on to say, well, they don't tell people what to do, but you know, of course people ask them for advice and they should. Okay, so they have influence. It's contradictory to an extent. Right. So you're telling me they don't step forward and offer the advice, but they are certainly it is certainly correct to go to them and ask them. Well, and I I I assume that the purpose of that line is, or of that those sentences are that they don't really like. Bob Clark doesn't necessarily live in the area per sure. se, but it doesn't mean he's not a phone call away either. Like right. I understand. I'm not sitting here saying that they have dedicated offices in Voorhees that they're at the draft table and all of that. I'm not saying that. What, but what we are saying is, is that like, and, and here's the thing, you're not going to tell me that those people did not have some level of involvement again, probably because they were asked. Bob like, Clark, I, Bob I Clark went on a podcast while we all wanted to draft McCarr. Well, first of all, no, you wanted to draft Nero Heiskin and, but whatever. Well, we all wanted, we all said we should have drafted McCarr. Okay. See, so you have influence. You were influent. You were attempting to influence Ron Hextall at the time. And you failed in that influence, which is why you ended up canning him. But but you admitted on that podcast, Bob, that you have influence on the team. I I think that there's some things that are a little off base there, because you're going back to 2017 draft when Hextall was still in charge. That's fair. I, I got to imagine that the point of that is that some things have changed in the last five years in that respect. Chuck Fletcher has never Chuck Fletcher has never been known for his backbone in terms of his bosses. Come on now. No, and he I and I didn't say that. Like cuz cuz let's put this way. I I told you. He doesn't make decisions on his own. Chuck Fletcher never made decisions on he no. it was it was all kind of like and Ron Hextall did and that was the problem. And that's what we've been coming well, back to whatever. for the last 2 years on this show. And that's whatever. It's it, like at this point in time, you want to define a new era and you want to talk about new voices and new perspectives. Then those Theirs have to be gone. Like, well, but then it sounds like they won't be. You know Good. what I mean? Like, like, again, it's it, if you want to define it today as they're they're available. Fine. Define it as they're available, but sure. don't have but they don't need to be ever present. That's what you're talking about. Ever present is not good. No. And and that's and I'm sorry. It's tough to convince people. And that's why, like, you can say, you know, you know I'm not, I'm not d denying the part where it's a myth that they control the whole thing. We had said, I've told you that. They don't make right. the day-to-day -day decisions. They're not no. putting the team physically together. But when it came to key decisions, like who's the next general manager or who's whatever, and guess what? This time around, I never heard their names one time. Nope. No, in it, fact, it, I believe it was said directly that they were not consulted on 
specifically firing Chuck Fletcher and putting Danny Briere in that spot. And the fact that Danny Briere was put there without their consideration, and then the interim tag was removed, presumably also really without their consideration, is a fantastic step in the right direction. And I do believe that they will be gone, you know, effectively immediately. Um, if they are not is where I have the problem. But I do think sure. that at this point, the organization is going to close the door on the bullies finally. Well, and, and look, that should be all that matters. You yeah. know, I don't look, I don't think you're getting what you completely want, which is a formal announcement. I don't think it's ever coming. Fair enough. And they're never going to, I'm not going to say never going to push them completely out the door, but like, let's be real about something. What is next year? Next year is the 50th anniversary of the 1974 Stanley Cup. They will be be they're going to be around. You know what? Do you know what I did like from a lot of what I've heard to an extent? First of all, the biggest thing about the press conference was the well, first of all, obviously, the presence of all five people that are part of this group. Yeah. But specifically the presence of Dan Hilferty. Yes. Because let's remember that. Ownership representation, the governor of the team, the representation of Comcast itself has been invisible for anywhere between at this point 15, 16 months. Maybe you're going on almost a half a year. I mean, we're talking January 2022 when the aggressive retool press conference was had. And that's the last time anybody saw Dave Scott. So and and pretty much the last time anybody heard from him in a newsworthy fashion, other than people throwing his name like like I did, throwing his name in articles to reference the fact that he doesn't seem to be around until the announcement that he was resigning from the position, that he was retiring. Right? Fair enough. You get Dan Hilferty in front of in front of people, and I think this is important because this is exactly what you do with your alumni too. He says, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be Ed Snyder. Nobody else can be Ed Snyder. But you know what I am going to do? I'm going to walk around the arena. I'm going to be present. I'm going to talk to people. That's important. Dan Hilferty going to be a real popular guy. And I think, I, I think that, when that when that news came out, we always, I think there was always a hint of possibility that that's the type of guy he was going to be. I think there was hope oh, that yeah. that was what he was going to be. That instead of getting some invisible ownership representation like they had, you're going to get somebody who's a little bit more around. You're going to, you know, like what's the thing that the that the Flyers seem to need more from that? It's not like, and I've said this, I kind of have said this before because a lot of people are still on the sell the team bus and Hilferty also addressed that, by the way. They're not for sale. They won't, they won't be all that. There's an element of you don't want that because at the end of the day, that's where your money comes from. You want to you want to invest in every resource possible to make you impossible. You want that. You want somebody behind it, but you also don't want invisibility. You don't want people to look at who is the owner of the flyers and be able to come back with a company. You want to be able to point out this guy, you know, yeah. Is it a company technically? Yes. But I know who to look for when I talk to somebody. Everybody wants Mark Cuban. I was going to kind of take it a different direction, and I was going to sit there and say that, you know what you figured out in the last several years, more or less? For the longest time, everybody knew Jeffrey Lurie owned the Eagles, right? And owns the Eagles now, obviously. But how many years, like, 
pretty much until the Phillies went out and were going all in to get Bryce Harper did everybody finally realize who John Middleton was. Right. And now everybody knows who he is, right? You want that. You want a person that you can put, you know, at least that you can recognize. Like, guess what? The Sixers? Yeah, Josh Harris is one of the owners of the team, but it's a group. But right. his name and his face are recognizable. That's important. You need to have somebody that you can look to. And like at the end of the day, don't you want to go back to, yeah, it's still going to be Comcast and owns the team, but don't you want to be able to have them if, you know, whenever this team experiences success again, and it's like, you know, clinching a playoff spot or into the playoffs or whatever, what used to happen back in the day, something big would happen. They'd win a game in overtime and then, you know, you get a couple of quick shots, you know, the player celebration, let's look at the bench and then, oh, guess where the camera went next? Ed Snyder's box, Always. and he's high-fiving people. Yep. You want to see that. And when things are bad, you want the owners, whoever it is, the face of the ownership, to come out and say, we're mad, too. We're just as mad right. as you are, and here's what we're going to do to fix it. And for the longest time, we've had Dave Scott and the corporate Comcast offices. And and Dave Scott tried that. Let's be real. And Dave Scott tried that. Let's be real. He was awful he at came it. Out, he came out of it. That, that and was everything he, he said and did screamed corporate stooge. He everything he said and did screamed corporate stooge. Go, just go right back to what the, go back to the first thing you just said right after that. He was awful at it. I awful. listened. I I listened to Dan Hilferty for five minutes and knew this guy was better than Dave Scott was. I Genuine. could totally, I could totally feel what you know, and you know what I could really feel to be honest that I don't know if I ever felt from Dave Scott in that sense. You know, at least that publicly. he wants that he wants the Philadelphia Flyers to win hockey games. Yeah, well, can you, it be that simple? It can be because you can actually whittle it down to one word: passion. Passion. I felt the passion that Dan he wants to win. You, you know what I really, and I'll, I'll whittle it down to three more words. You know what I saw from Dan Hilferty to an extent. Okay. Okay, that felt like the tenacious Flyers fan, the self-described yeah. tenacious Flyers fan. Absolutely, who knows who knows where it came from, but is sitting here going, "We have a problem, and this is the group I'm going to battle with." And I, yep. you know what? Look at my place on this table. I'm sitting smack in the middle. This is, you know, we all are in this. You know, that was the biggest thing about it was it, it, this is all for one, one for all. If it goes down, we're all going down with it. The ship is moving in the right direction. At this point, I've, I've expressed my concerns moving forward, and I do think they will be addressed. Uh, my only real complaint is that it didn't happen 18 months ago when things really started to go sour, so you gave yourself a shot at Connor Bedard. But as we sit here for, moving forward, um, it does look like the Flyers are probably not going to be great next year, probably not the year after that. Like We, we are looking at a rebuild here, folks. It's... Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the draft lottery in a few minutes here. It will not be the last time we're talking about the draft lottery on this show over the next couple of years. But in the meantime, take a deep breath. Exhale. Things are moving in the right direction. It, it, it was seems really important. as though the ship is being turned around. Right. And it was really important to kind of hear everybody that was part of it. I mean, we'll because I, I got a couple of different comment talking points from some of the press conference stuff and things like that because obviously there was a lot of discussion and there's been a lot of comments that i've seen that i also want to address because i think that there's elements of it where you know they're either mis not misunderstood but i guess people are either aren't reading enough to find out what it means or you know and i'm not trying to 
talk down to the readers of my stuff or anything like that. But it's like I've had a lot of interesting comments come in on different different platforms, not, not directly to me. I'll say it that okay. way, but but on like, you know, on the Sports Talk Philly pages, things like that. All right. Um, because at the end of the day, there were first of all, I think that everybody talking rebuild was is also important because you need everybody. You know, Briere said it again. Keith Jones is saying rebuild. Valerie Camillo is saying rebuild. This is important. They know as a business it's it's being built. They know as a hockey team it's being built. And that's important to be completely across the board in harmony on that decision to go down that path. Okay. You know, it was the new era of orange letter thing kind of, you know, kind of a well, kind of a knockoff of what the Rangers tried to do a little yeah. bit. And it, and are you getting saved by anybody in the next two years? Probably not. So another weird thing I wanted to say, this is about the actual press release proper, the new age of our uh, orange press new release. Era of orange. It said ass in it. Yeah, I know. Like in an official press release, like it was just there in like the middle of the paragraph in the middle of the page, just in <laughs> white print on a bright orange background. Like it really just popped out at you. And it it felt very Jonesy. No, if I'll that makes sense. It, uh, no, I'll tell you where it, where it came from because I knew okay. exactly what it was as soon as I saw it. Is it Elfordy? No, it's you got five people sitting up there. And one of them is John Tortorella. Do you think that a, do you think a press release that's that goes across five people's desks, essentially, including John Tortorella's, you know, didn't get the seal of approval on that line? That's, that's really funny. Like I, I, I have to imagine. Let's put it this way: the X Flyer thing. You know, and and like you know, I I had because I wrote something about it in there too, and it's not because because again, I said this on our, our last show. You got a really good chance of it being somebody who used to play for the Flyers. That happens a lot around the league. And Guys played everywhere. And especially the era we're talking about, this was the this was the Flyers get everybody era. Like we did that too. Sure. <laughs> Flyers were in on every free agent forever for about well, and, 25 do, years. And do you want well do you want to know something else too? When you've been a franchise for almost 60 years at this point, there's a good chance you've had a lot of players and a lot of history and there's yeah. and and even if somebody didn't play for you, they may have a connection nonetheless. Like yep. like seriously, what if it was Ray Shero? Just hypothetically speaking. Right. What if it was? And he's got a connection. He never worked for him, never played, never did anything, but, but his he's dad still did. Freddie's kid, right. Right. But his dad did. His dad coached him to a Stanley Cup. Does that still, you know, by the so by associate possibly the great, probably the greatest coach in franchise history. It definitely the greatest coach yeah. in franchise history. The only one that's gotten them to that level. Fair but so, like I said, I think that the X Flyer thing is overblown. It's the, the the problem that people have with the X Flyer thing is the approach. And if you can do it in a new school way, if you can do it in an evolved way, then sure. And. You know, is there a little something that rubs me the wrong way about Keith Jones being hired? A little. And Fair. only a little. Only because of the fact that Because it, it could have been you. It's a colleague. No, it's not that at all. <laughs> if you had known it's, it was open, you would have applied for it. Um, I mean, I mean, I made this joke. I made this joke a lot that, you know, if I if I just slick my hair back and somehow put on a French Canadian accent, I probably could pass for Danny. I mean, I'm his, I am his height. I'm kind of his skin complexion, I would say. I could probably make a pass. I, I've stood next to the guy. I know I'm his height. 
Does does Danny eat some spaghetti and meatballs? <laughs> what he nah, ha- come on. he he hates on the chicken parm just like Torts does. <laughs> nah. you know what we're supposed to be saying? All right, nah, um, nah, nah. But no, no, nonetheless, because here's here's the interesting part of this, okay? Because I, you know, timing is everything in some of these things, as you know. You know, sometimes these things always creep up on you at the worst possible time. So let me give you a timeline of how this week went. Okay. Wednesday or last week, anyway. Wednesday was when the I, the report of it's down to two, and then realistically it was one pretty quickly. You yeah. know, we knew who was getting hired. Official announcement probably Thursday, right? All that. Okay, that was Wednesday. I woke up on Thursday morning, saw the official announcement, saw the new era thing, and then the official announcement of who's the president and all that type of stuff, right? Wrote that article and then got it, you know, I, I'm going to, I hope you saw it. I hope you saw my react, my initial reaction piece that I posted on Friday because, you know, I, I went a, di- a different direction. Let's just say that. I went okay. a different direction because that, that other people did too, to be honest, because they had the press conference on Friday at Wells Fargo Center. And a particular someone in the music industry was going to be across the street later that night. Right. And I may have made a handful of references to that in the article because New Era was a little too perfect. It's, it's yep. If you know what I'm getting at. It was, yep. There, there were other musical references in that article for what it's worth. It wasn't just her, but nonetheless. Um, beside the point, I should also give full disclosure that's a whirlwind. Like I, I'm glad that we didn't do the show on Sunday, because okay. whirlwind 48 hours for me. Okay, the news is going to come out, right? So I'm prepared for it. It's going to be announced on probably Thursday morning. So I'm prepared for it, but I do have to react to it. And the press conference I find out is going to be Friday morning at 11:30, right? Which just happened to be the same day as my sister's wedding. Oh, I thought you were about to tell me you scored a Taylor Swift ticket last minute. You know, I thought we oh, were God, making no. allusions to that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's this is like a date that has been circled on the calendar for a year and a half. Yep. You know, b- before it was 2023, this is already circled. Do not do anything on this day. Save so what the day, day is the pre- no? So what day is the press conference? Of course, Friday. So I'm like, because realize. When I, I assume like, you were in the wedding. Yeah, of course. Now I'm in. Now I'm in it, but I don't have anything to do. Like, you're let's let's put it this way: Thursday Thursday night is rehearsal. That wasn't until six o'clock at night, so I had some time. I mean, I had other work to do leading up to as well, but I had time. So that's when I put together the other, the article that I'm going to put out on Friday morning. The reactionary, as I do with every big piece of news that comes out that warrants a reactionary kind of piece sure, right sure. friday when the press conference happens now we're in different territory because a i've been up since like six o'clock in the morning because i had to drive my wife to get hair and makeup done and then i'm with my dad the entire morning while we wait for everything else to take place the wedding's at four i'm needed where i gotta go at 1 30 in the afternoon the press conference again is at 11 30 in the morning and this is no hey let's just stick danny briere in front of a microphone for 20 minutes no this was a full this is full-on presentation at the wells fargo center Upl- uploaded to the youtube channel in two 25 minute parts <laughs> with with additional separate interviews yep. on the side after the fact yep. so there's a lot of information to be thrown around and it was and almost I'm, a media day right and i'm trying to watch this 
in about the you know in the half hour or so span that I have before I have to start getting ready and then leave. Man, I, so I'm sure you had earbuds and it's way less dramatic, but I'm just picturing you in the corner of a bridal suite with like your phone up to your ear, just trying to listen to what Val Camillo so, has to say. So not quite. Well, so not quite. <laughs> because this is this is all the preparation period. So we're okay. not even okay. there yet. Where that that's the part of it. But I'm like like it's I'm supposed to get a shower. I'm supposed to get into the tux, all that type of stuff. I gotta get ready to go for the thing. And I'm like trying to eat lunch over this. You know, and hopefully drag this out so that I get to at least the end of the part where I don't feel like I have to listen as much anymore. I, I made right. it through probably about if I'm being honest, I made it through all the introductions and I made it through about half of the Q&A okay. before they broke it off and went on into the asides. But let me tell you something about especially when you're around family at a wedding just, on a Friday say- night. Many congratulations to your sister, by the way. I wanted to. Throw yes, that thank out you there. very much. It was, yeah. and it was a. And by the way, full full disclosure, great night. Everything you know felt like everything couldn't have gone better. That's like awesome. we, everybody, everybody had a great time, and you know, so it it, it it couldn't have gone better after like all that type of stuff. And I even I even kind of joked. I'm thankful they made the announcement part on Thursday, so That's I wasn't early. sitting there waiting. Well, so I wasn't sitting there on Friday morning going, <laughs> "When's it coming out?" So I can post this. You know, like. Imagine they don't announce it three fifty five Friday afternoon. They drop it. <laughs> well, guess what? Three fifty five on Friday afternoon was exactly the time that we were told in the church we were at go time. You know. Yep, I know. Like that's it. Anyway, <laughs> beside the point. Next, next step. Um, so the 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 thing about but the thing about when you're at a wedding with family and people know what you do. I had to have been asked at least ten to fifteen times that over the course of that night. What you think, you Jonesy? Think? Huh? No. So what? Jonesy, so huh? okay. So now it's been a couple of days, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. We are recording on Tuesday evening. So Kevin, Jonesy, what do you think? So I. This is where one of the comments comes in. I don't. I have nothing against. Like first of all, nothing against Keith Jones or Danny Briere's people. Two Fair. of the nicest guys you could meet. Seriously. And they I seem mean, like it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I know that people said that about Chuck Fletcher. I know. But, like, like seriously, these are people who have been around the press box as long as I have practically. Like, to an extent. I mean, Danny Breer a little less because Danny Breer was still playing at the time. Right. But, but Keith be Jones has been there for – well, Keith, yeah, but Keith Jones has been there that long. Like, right. as long as I've been covering games, Keith Jones is there. And he's one of the nicest guys and, you know – can combine the smarts with the humor and has and has let's be real knows everybody there is to know like y- yep. you never have doubts on that one of the things that i got saw some questions about was because i wrote about their inexperience and a lot of that was met with inexperience well they're but they're really smart hockey guys didn't say that right what i'm talking about is is that I don't know if Danny Briere can negotiate contracts. Right. I don't know if he can make trades. I don't know if he can draft. Right? Does he I know? Have no does, clue. does he know if a third a third line player with forty two points last year is worth a second round pick? Like, does Danny Briere know that or whatever whatever the deal is? You know right. what I mean? Now, I hope that he's learned a lot in the years that he's had time to kind of get there, and I can you know, and I can I'm not going to deny that he's put in the work. So that's not the problem. To be honest, the inexperienced thing is a little less for Keith Jones just because of the fact that, again, this is kind of glorified PR. You really just need to be a springboard to relationships as far as I'm concerned for the hockey side. Like the thing, the thing that makes you qualified for the president of hockey operations job and the way it was described 
is you know everybody. Yep. So if you know somebody who's good for the job, go get them. That's and, the point. And a lot of times I feel like your president of hockey ops, their role is to manage up and is to basically keep ownership and upper management happy with what the hockey ops team is doing. And, and it's a little different to be how, honest. And it's how, all in one step. Right. Well, and how do you have a five minute conversation with Keith, Keith Jones and not walk away smiling? Like, Come on. Mm-hmm. Look at him. He's Jonesy. And so 17 years in the booth, 23 years in broadcasting, not a whole lot of time in hockey ops. He kind of walked in right after his career ended. Uh, okay. Like I said, I will admit I'm a little nervous. Mm-hmm. And you should be. I'm, I'm like- willing to trust the people that are there. But here's, listen, Keith, Danny, if you're listening, and I know you're not, but if you're listening, <laughs> I have two piece of ad- pieces of advice for you, and it's simple and they're related. One, Hire an analytics department. Two, trust them. That's it. Well, they have one. I well, they they can get a get a good one. Make sure they're good. Trust well, them. I have well, then I have some good news for you on this front. Not, not okay, news, great. Not, not specifically on that front, but I do have some good news for you based on something that Danny Briere did say that I think carries a lot of weight. But I'll give you my answer to the overall thought first, and then I'll give you mm. that piece. Everybody who's out there who's a Flyers fan right now has every right and reason to be skeptical, to be nervous, to wonder if it's going to work, and to be and to be completely honest, to not trust any move that they make no matter what it looks like. Fair. They can hire the two nicest guys on the planet. They can hire two people that you think are brilliant. They might have hired the two nicest guys on the planet, to be honest. <laughs> and if you don't feel like that's like that's the right decision, if you sit there and you go, if your answer is same old flyers and that your answer is whatever, you have every right to it. I, I, I can't take that away from people because that's how much damage has been done over the last 10 years. Oh, this this fan base is scarred and sure. we deserved. So I can't take that part away. No. They I will now on that front, though, they have all put it. They've put it out there. They've all put themselves out there. This is the, this is going on. Let's just say everybody is all in on Danny Briere's ability to be a general manager. Everybody is all in. If Good. Keith Jones is not going to be overseeing every move that's made and Danny is, then you're all in on him. And you're saying he's ready. There's nobody else for this job. And we're all, again, if he goes down, we're all going to go down with him, potentially. Fine. That's your choice. And, and again... You have every right to be skeptical of the lack of experience in those areas without having any track record. Yep. At, like, at least when, because let's be real about something. Ron Hextall's first true GM job was in Philly, but he came yep. from an assistant GM role in LA and, and, and was behind a lot of the championship stuff. And people kind of went, well, the track record said, this is nothing. What does Danny Breer have other than working under Chuck Fletcher for a year and a half? Uh, the main Mariners of the ECHL, which is not well, yes, a whole but not, lot. But <laughs> right. not to the NHL level. That's no. what I'm getting at. So if you're afraid because the only NHL experience he's got is under the previous guy, then you have a right to feel that way. Yeah. All the, you know. Especially, now, especially if, you know, if there were other forces that, eh, I'm not going to say steering the ship, but maybe had a hand on the wheel. And those are gone now as well. Then Danny Briere kind of is on his own a little bit from that. Right sentence 
And because of those feelings and because of the way as in the word that you use, Kyle is perfect. Scarred. If that's how you no, if that's how you feel and they haven't earned it from you and they won't for some time, then I can't sway you in this. But if you're on the fence or if you're still like, I I just want them to be good again. And I hope that they get the right people. And you're in that, the thing, the best thing you can do is give this a shot then because it doesn't feel exactly the same. No, There's no, something this... different. Briere definitely doesn't feel the same. And I know he's been a long, he was a longtime flyer. I don't care about that. He knows today's players. Right. And think about who Danny Briere was as a player. Think about the words used to describe Danny Briere. Small, quick, mm-hmm. athletic, smart, good shot, small. Um, did I mention small? Right. And well, you're going to bring me to my other two comments, right. by the way. So I'm winding us towards kind of the analytics department. Right. Danny Breer was always an analytics type player. Hopefully. And okay, if you look at the president slash GM power balances, let's say it's roughly 80-20 in terms of your GM does most everything, but the president kind of has final say type of deal. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a nice little blend because Danny Breer is going to bring some of that youth presumably analytics-minded hockey, I assume. Uh, And Keith Jones has a little bit more of that older school boys club IA test. I think it's going to be a really good blend. We've talked about it before. We don't want to go 100% analytics. We don't want to go 100% eye test. We're looking for a blend. I I think that's what we have here. And I want to bring in the third part of the equation then. Because the person who we've talked the least about in all of this is John Tortorella, who is going to have more say than the typical head coach does. Absolutely. Now, now risk-reward. Because, sure, you're getting the balance of this. If Danny Briere is going to be more analytical, then Tortorella is going to be more eye test. And that's fine if you blend the two styles together. The risk to me is just don't have a team of a bunch of third-line guys running around that can't score goals. And I don't it's know. It's like, working out for Seattle. It, well, but Seattle has to score <laughs> a little bit, though. Uh, like, I, I can look at some of those third-line guys on Seattle and say, at least they've got a little bit of scorer's touch. We're not talking about guys, you know, with all due, again, with all due respect to players who have got had careers and have made it in some way, that we're not talking about a bunch of Zach McEwen's and Nick no. Delorier's running around. Oof. You know what I mean? God, and that's all two, I'm saying about if those two never played a game for this organization, I would be thrilled. <laughs> and that's all I'm and no, but and that's all I'm saying about it is that it, like I just don't want John Tortorella's complete ideal team. Unless it's evolved. I agree. If, I agree. if it's if it's if it's evolved, then great. But if he's and still kind of living frankly, in that, I think it has. I, well, I think it has a little bit too because he loves players like Noah Cates and he's yeah. got a he's and got a soft spot for Tippett. Honestly, and, even going back to the stuff he was saying on TV about not liking the Michigans and the blah blah blah, that mm-hmm. even then to me that felt a little riled up for the television. Yeah, it probably and was I, a little. And he played devil's advocate to be Howard Eskin. And It doesn't mean – and I think he has softened on that over the last couple of years. I think he has seen the success of certain teams, like quite frankly, two or three of the teams that have their jerseys up behind you here. Uh, We'll get into them in a few minutes when we talk about the playoffs. Uh, But at this point in time, it's pretty well established that you need some amount of analytics in your front office if you're going to build a long-term sustainable franchise. 
you do. No, you do. I get that. Here's here's the thing about it too, and and I I would hope. Look, I haven't asked John Tortorella this specific question, so I'm not going to assume anything from him. But I would hope that this is the way that he thinks as a coach, because it's the way I would think if I was in his shoes. I don't care how you score the goal. Did it help you win the game? If you're the coach and your whole sure. livelihood thrives on success, then I don't care if you do the Michigan, if you, you know, bat it out of midair, swing, you know, swing your stick like a baseball bat to knock it into the net. I don't care. Well, scoring a goal is scoring a goal. And at the and end I, of the day, know, at the end of the day, that's always going to going to be how it is because the general manager's job is to put together the roster. So you have to look at what these players are expected right. to do over now, the long haul. And then your coach's job is to win every single game. So their job is to look at what this player is doing right this second. So I want to, I want to put a bow on this with the other, with the yeah. last two comments that I saw a lot of. And one of them is actually a good segue to the playoff stuff, but we do have one more other thing to talk yeah. about before we get to the playoffs. But so the other thing that I saw a lot of was, and this kind of ties back to a lot of stuff c- combined. Well, okay. You know, if you don't like the idea of them hiring X flyers, how did the last outside hire go? You know, and everybody pointed to Chuck Fletcher, you know, wasn't the guy a Harvard, Harvard grad, you know, all that, right. all that type of stuff. Not saying that I get it. I understand that. I'm not downing the X flyer approach. It's or not X flyer approach. I'm not downing the X flyer higher. I'm downing the approach is the point. Fair if the enough. approach doesn't change and you keep hiring the same type of people because you're all like mind, like there just has to be a little bit of a shakeup. You need and a I little think bit. That's of, what has changed. Right. You need a little bit of differences. I mean, if, if Dana you is not page, that. Right. And if you can be on the same page about your direction. But on different, not different pages, but have different ideas about the way you get to that chapter, then that's all well and good. I like hearing Tortorella talk about, we're going to argue with each other. Good. You should, sure. because if you're all just sitting there yesing each other to death, you're not going to go anywhere. So good. Test each other. Push it a little bit, you know? And one of the key things, by the way, this this goes to your analytics point, but the, I, I see, you're looking at analytics. Your answer is... Like, well, the analytics department's not good enough because they're we, missing we opportunities on things. Right. Right? My answer's different. A little different in terms of the weak, the weakest point, if you ask me. Because Is it I drafting th- and development? Because it's not dr- well, it, it's the second. Holy year. crow. Because because I don't think that I really don't think that at any not I won't say at any point in time, like I'm sure they've made like they've made some poor draft picks, but I don't think they've made a ton of poor draft picks on fair. draft night. I think they've done a poor job of getting those players to what they could have been. And that's all development. And this is important. I want to, and again, full credit crossing broad, Anthony Sanfilippo wrote this because he asked a question about potential changes around the front office, which I can only assume includes every element that we've talked about analytics, development, draft, you know, scouting and drafting and the people that you talk about, you know, those to people be, too. advise, wait, to advise be fair, Right. And to be fair, I do want analytics to be hand in hand with the development. You know, a part sure. of development is identifying what players are strong at. And analytics are a great tool to kind of help identify player strengths and weaknesses and where they can be the most effective in any given lineup. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think those two things should work hand in hand. Sure. Um, but you know what? The best way to get quality players in your system, Kevin. Well, it is the draft, but I want to read this quote really quick. Okay, okay. Because this is what Briere said in response to that yeah. very question about changes in the front office, which is which spans everything, right? We're talking about four different areas we just talked about where, you know, you're from your advisors to your scouts to your 
developmental, you know, your development personnel to your analytics, right? All sorts of areas. This can, you know, this includes everything. And Briere said exactly this. And again, crossing broad, Anthony Sanfilippo got this. There will be some changes that will occur in the next few months. That's where having the chance to be inside the last two plus years and dealing with every department on the hockey side, I was able to find out where our strong spots are, where our weaker spots are, and what we need to improve on. You haven't seen too much yet because I didn't want to get uh, because I wanted to get Keith's opinion on it. I didn't want to get too ahead of myself because I wanted to respect respect the process. But but things are going to happen everywhere. That sounds like a very well calculated answer. That sounds like somebody who's going to be diligent with the process. Sounds like a guy who has a to do list. It sounds like somebody who is proving exactly why they didn't talk to anybody else because he's going to have his finger on every, if Danny Breer can have his finger on every aspect of this organization and hockey operations to the point where all Keith Jones has to do is, is essentially advise and report back to business and come up with better ways to make the whole thing work. And again, Keith Jones, not only knowing every person that you could hire in any particular role, but also knowing every player because he's a broad because he was a broadcaster for so long. I think a lot of Keith Jones's job is going to be buying the first round. <laughs> uh but either way, good for them. Yeah. I I think he's going to spend a lot of time hanging out with people and I think quite frankly, I think Danny Briere is going to do a good job and it might take a little time. It might take a little growing pains. Obviously mm -hmm. uh, there's a bit of a teardown to be done here. I mentioned Nick Delorier never playing again. And unfortunately that's not going to be the case. Um, no, but you know, we all know one name that we think is on the way out the door and it's probably true. Oh, you know, I was listening to one of the more recent 32 thoughts. They're pumping episodes out so quickly. I can't remember if it was the most recent or the one before that. Uh, but but they brought up the Philadelphia Flyers briefly, and Elliot Friedman rattled off real quick. Hart Provorov, Konechny, gone, gone, gone. He expects them to be gone. Seriously, see, I didn't hear that one. Yet. And yeah, and I don't know. I think that might be a little extreme, to be honest. Right, I, I, I think he's like that. I think he's looking at the situation and making some assumptions more than any like actual concrete hearing well, anything. You know what? I want to pump the brakes a little bit on some of the stuff that Elliot – like, look, we respect the hell out of Elliot Friedman. We've said that on the show for months on end, right? Oh, we've there's, years. There's a lot of stuff, though, on the podcast that he has that he comes out and says a lot of – He just I throws think. it out there, yep. Well, no, it's I – no, but it's I think. And I could yep. say the same thing. Listen, I could right. read the situation and say I think that they might do this. There's not as there's not near as much concrete because I agree. And listen, and and, so, and look, some of that's strategic because if you work in if you work in absolutes, you're going to get burned in his role, right? I like, work in you, sales, and I don't even tell people that their couch is definitely going to be here in two weeks. <laughs> exactly. No. Now, the one that I do buy, by the way, is the c consistent mentioning of Kevin Hayes and the Columbus Blue Jackets. I do buy that. I think that there's a lot of smoke there, and I, I don't think that the, you know. Let's put it this way: what the the Johnny Gaudreau tampering committee takes on in what, um, town? But like, what what's changed from the end of from the exit interview process to now, other than Keith Jones getting hired? What's changed? Not much. So I don't think if the thought was there then, I think the thought still exists now. I don't think that's a player who wants to be in Philadelphia, and I think that's pretty clear. And I don't think. John Tortorella particularly wants him in Philadelphia. But, all right. Can we get into anyway. the draft here? 
Sure. All right. So speaking of a new player that will be in Philadelphia, uh, if the Flyers keep this pick, which is certainly not a guarantee, uh, the Flyers will pick seventh in the upcoming NHL draft. Uh, they did not win the draft lottery. There was remarkably little change at the lottery, really just the flipping of the top spots leading to the <sighs> the Chicago Blackhawks getting the first overall pick and landing the right to draft Connor Bedard. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> what you got? Um nothing really on the Flyers front. I mean, mm. they, they, look, be, look, be, you be didn't thankful. win. A, you didn't win a lottery. You only had a six and a half shot at winning a six and a half percent shot at winning. There's really no well, story here. I was going to say, be thankful. You didn't drop is more than thing, you know, at this point, like realize that you actually have a greater chance going into that to pick eighth than seventh Ugh. when it comes around, you know, in, in that sense, like you really actually have a greater chance of at least watching one team behind you advance past you so you drop a spot right the fact that there was little change was actually good for the flyers right like if nothing else watching as the cards were being flipped and watching as number nine went over and it's like okay good no change number eight went over okay good no change this is it moment of truth it's either one two or seven and at this point fine you know look it's a 6.5 percent chance at one take seven if that's what you're gonna get right you made your you made your bet anyway by winning games at different points in the season we know this we already are there you know whatever the case may be the only again i feel like we had this discussion when we talked about all the stuff with the chicago blackhawks however many moons ago at this point it was it's been a little while obviously since yeah. that particular show um and you know the reason why it was the way it was. It was because when 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 that whole scandal came out with with the Chicago Blackhawks, the thing that hurt the most from our perspective was the timeline of the events that were going on and sweeping it under the rug. And it's, oh, because we can't be inconvenienced in the Stanley Cup final in yep. 2010 against yep. the Flyers. And it's like, OK, so that Insane. hurts a little bit. Yep. Right. That hurts a little bit. But what about, you know. Like, what about the repercussions of that is basically the point. Like, the fact you know that the, what? The fact if, that the Chicago Blackhawks didn't sacrifice any draft capital is insane. And they were sure. fined, what, a million and a half bucks? Two, two million bucks? Two million dollars. Something like that. Two million dollars. They, they, they made more money. They made it all back in, in, in season that night. ticket sales in the first 90 minutes. Yep. They made two and a half million dollars. They made more money in the first 90 minutes than they were fined for sexual abuse. And covering That's, it up, and a grand conspiracy right. to cover it up for more than a decade. Right. Something that, by the way, has since unlocked more of these types of things being uncovered. This is, if if it if it's not for Kyle Beach, then we're not. I don't know if we're talking hockey about the hockey, is Canada hockey Canada. Stuff. Yeah. Right. I don't know if we get to that that far. It no. opened doors for investigations like this to happen. Yep. And here's the thing, like. The people who are out here, no, the people who are out here kind of beside themselves about the luck of the Chicago Blackhawks in terms of just trading away Patrick Kane and who and Jonathan Taves is leaving the team one way or the other at the end, you know, at the end of this season, whether it's, you know, whether he does play somewhere else or whether he just decides to retire. He's played his last I game in Chicago, obviously. He plays anywhere else, honestly. I don't feel like it is either. Not I, with what he's gone too, through. I agree with you, but either way, um, that doesn't bother me. If you finished in the bottom three in the league and then get the lotto pick, right? That is and it what just it lines is. up, and it just lines up with when you traded Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves is no longer going to be part of the team. Uh, so, like, 
Right. Yeah, it's, it, does it seem a little like there's nothing rigged about it? The tanking was a little blatant for some people. You know, I do understand. You know what that, though? But... You you know what though? At the same time, and I agree with I do agree a little bit. Like, is the tanking like a little suspicious in terms of like they won six of their last twenty five? Come on, man. You know, like, and I get that. The Anaheim and... Ducks only were in the top spot in the you know in the potential lotto poll because of the fact that they lost thirteen straight down the stretch. Like yep. timing is everything, you know. They didn't win a game in the last three, four weeks of the season. Like, yep. you're not going to tell me that at some point in time you look and you realize what's at stake, and the losses don't matter as much anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Of course. Like, like I, I think that there were more than just the Chicago Blackhawks who were guilty of it. I think Absolutely. what people look at, what people look at with Chicago, isn't even the six in the last twenty-five thing. It's the trades that they, it's it's Man, trading the away. Perfectly, iced, the, the team they iced after the trade deadline right. was. It's trading away two perfectly good young players in term in Alex DeBrinket and Kirby Doc, and saying, you know what, we don't need you anymore. We're not going to do this. It was keeping Kane and Taves around for as long as humanly possible. Kane wasn't even completely healthy at different points in the season. Taves had all the health issues too. It was a, yeah, but I, I, I can't fault them for health issues per se because no. by that logic, the Flyers did that. No, it's it's Doc and Debrinkit that are the right. It's trading away guys and, and things like that, and I get it. So, and that's and that's what like okay. But all of that being said, the part that I just can't get over is the part where they real like they didn't get hit with draft capital for a, a league wide nationwide all, all over the news scandal and cover you know, for and having covered it up for a decade yep that bothers me i'm sorry that bothers me in a big way and, and the Rocky funny part Wirtz was is like, on the ownership executive board well and b- beside the point at this point like i get i get that like that that is relevant I have people like I had Chicago because I put I retweeted some somebody who had kind of expressed the same thing and agreed with the same thing. That's the hardest part of it. It's not like it's not rigged. It's not that they tanked. It doesn't. None of that matters to me. You know, like they lost a bunch of games. You kind of can't like it's weird. You can't prove that they tanked per se down the stretch because they want like for God's sakes, the entire playoffs could be shaken up. By the fact that they won a game against Boston, or, or what was it? Won a, won a game against Boston, or was it was a game against Pittsburgh? I think it was. They won against somebody Pittsburgh. down the stretch. Yeah, it, no, because it, it was they won against Pittsburgh, which helped keep Pittsburgh out of the playoffs, helped put Florida in the playoffs, got them the the, the lotto spot that ended up winning. It all influenced a bunch of stuff. Insane. Yeah. So I can't go there with that. But I had somebody who is clearly a Chicago fan. And I can't believe that there's Chicago – like, I can, but I can't believe that there's Chicago fans out there defending the fact that, well, what – you know, Kyle Davidson had nothing to do with – I don't care that he had nothing to do with it. That, that, that does, this isn't about who had something to do with it, and it's a completely different regime now. They just – as far as I'm – like, like it was funny. Like, I got criticized because the word I used was rewarded. Well, what do you call the best prospect that the league has seen since Connor McDavid? Arizona oh, yeah. got slammed a thousand times harder for having a couple of skates. Now, and – and I know that the logic from the league was, well, that affected the draft. They were working out prospects, and that was draft, blah, 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 draft-related activity, whatever you want to call it. Right. The fact of the matter is, factually speaking, the, the Arizona Coyotes got more for working some players out than the Chicago Blackhawks did for a coach abusing a player 
your entire ma- uh, ownership management team finding out about it in the playoffs and actively deciding, no, we're going to cover it up because it would be a distraction to our Stanley Cup run. And they then buried it. They didn't bring it up after the season and go, okay, now we can address it. They buried it. And they hid it for a decade plus until they were called out for it. Most of them lost their jobs in hockey. And the team was fined $2 million, and that's the end of that. You can't tell me that Rocky Wirtz didn't call Gary Bettman and say, how big of a check do I need to write you for this to go away? And Gary said, how's $2 million? And Rocky said, fine, here it is. Well, especially when, like, I'm sorry, that's too easy to make back up like like the way they just did. Hello. You, know, you can make right. the money. It's not about that. But beside the point, like, you're going to make 10 harp- that in Jersey sales this year. Right. Alone. I'm not going to harp on it forever kind of thing. It is what it is at this point, because because it's it's I don't want to call it a footnote because it's not something minor, but it's one of many things. In, in, and the list grows frequently that embarrass you of, about covering the NHL as a profession. Well, I mean, not completely as a profession, but OK, but you know what I mean? Yes, I did. Not not that embarrass me about covering it. It's just because because there's enough thing like some of the things that ha- like some of the things that I can put on the list here, like of of things that are have been wrong with the game and things like that, don't have anything to do with anything that's really I want to call it suspicious. It's just don't have anything to do with like off ice scandal type stuff or anything like that. It's very quite clearly comes down to on ice type things that. You just need to show you care about more. And maybe the best way to show you care about it more is to, I don't know, maybe think about new leadership in a lot of areas. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, it, it, again, conversations. So are, you, are, you, are, you talking about on, are you talking about on ice stuff like uh, your referee, your referees being caught on hot, hot mics talking about looking for calls against teams? I'm talking about I'm talking about what appears to be a clear cut emphasis on calling a lot of penalties in this year's playoffs so that the game flow is really not as good as it could be. Um, the part yeah. the department of player the department of player safety being but the only usual for the first four awful, games of, only for the first four games of the series. Well, fair like, enough. In games you. five, six, and seven, penalties are drying up. Uh, still, especially but, especially penalties that create a power play. Let me specify that. They'll <laughs> they'll call two V twos all two on twos all day long. Oh, I hear you. But last night in Dallas, Seattle, game seven, there was a penalty seven minutes and eighteen seconds, Ely Tolvin against Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben high sticking fifteen twenty against Morgan Geeky, both penalties in the first period. That was it for that game. And that I was not the mind. last. In, that was not the last infraction committed in that game. Just for the record. No, I believe that, and I don't mind that if it's evened up, kind of at the end of the night. I understand. I agree. And, I'm not trying, and 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 there's an element of it where, like, yes, are officials going to see everything? No, they are not. I like I. There's an element because there's an element where, like, I think a lot of people are at fault. If I'm being honest, sure. and we're kind of getting off on a tangent, so I don't want to go too far with this. But Fair. it's like a lot of people are at fault from all sides. Like, can the officials be way better? Yeah, they sure as hell can. Can the Department of Player Safety be better? Yeah, they sure as hell can. <sighs> you know, should you know, should ev- you know, should fans and you know, like there's some stuff that we're looking at under a microscope, taking it down to the nanosecond to be able to see it, and you're looking at an official going, "How come that didn't get called?" Like, be realistic to an extent. But then there's Nurse and Petrangelo, who got the same but, punishment. That that's the pl- that's player safety though. 
Right. Which I've which we've argued that for a long time. Yep. I'm not talking about penalty calls. I'm talking like all right. Let's, like, I'm talking about penalty calls. That's let's what I'm talking. let's finish up with the draft lottery here real quick. We'll put a pin in this. I do want to come back to this when we talk about the playoffs. Right. Um, real um, quick. Uh, do you think the Flyers stay at seven? Do you think there's a chance they move up, they move down? I, I would say it's more likely that the Flyers move up than down if they're going to be moving in the draft. That being said, I, I think, think it's pretty likely they just kind of pick at seven. That's what I think too, because I think that Danny Briere knows the importance of picking toward the top. Um, obviously, he didn't get the chance to kind of oversee the team for the whole year to see what kind of came of it or whatever, but... I just don't, I mean, there's a compelling argument to go down because if you can get more capital, I mean, you've got a lot of things. That don't that A lot of holes to way. fill. Yeah. Well, and you have a lot, like, Danny Breer doesn't have an, you know, envious job here in the sense that, you know, like, there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of screw-ups that were made along the oh, way yeah. in terms of having some picks available, especially in this year's draft. That being said, I mean, they're going to, you know, they're going to have multiple pick, multiple first-round picks next year, and they're going to probably have to continue down that path a little bit. I mean, Breer, Breer's got a lot of work to do, and everybody knows that. So yeah. it's got to start somewhere, so let it start somewhere. You know what I mean? I mean, like, there's not much you can speculate on at this point. There will be, you know, certainly as we get closer to the draft, there will be players to look at. You, you obviously can rule out the obvious at seven. You know, it's not going to be Bedard, and it's not going to be Fantilli. And – you can probably safely also take away guys like Carlson and, you know, Mishkov's interesting, so I don't want to speculate on anything there. He's that, probably that whole... most likely to slide, but I don't necessarily know if I want the Flyers to be taking a guy like that. It, it, it's, 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 an, it's a compelling argument for both sides. That's the thing. It's really compelling. I've seen a lot of, you know, um, I want let me pull up a quick. I didn't really yeah. have a whole bunch of them. The Ivan Fedotov situation kind of spooks me a little bit. Yeah, I get that. Um, like, especially with this organization. Like, you never know. They might still be salty about the whole, you know, Red Army game. Like, I Rush don't is, I don't, like, Rush is weird, man. Like, it, they might yeah. legitimately still hold some harbors towards this specific franchise for that game 30 years ago, 40 years ago. That so, is a real possibility. So anyway, so I want to go through a couple names. I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap to get to seven here. I think Will Smith, who's the center on the U.S. national development team, is not that Will Smith. Yeah, is probably the next cl- like it, like it's those four guys we just mentioned, and then he's probably the fifth based on you, a lot of the lists I see. Do you know how many bad Fresh Prince jokes are going to get made if he ends up here? Oh, a ton. I do know. you so many. Um, I mean, I, I see a lot of other names that kind of have popped up over the course of things. Um, Ryan Leonard's also part of is winger on that U S team. Um, Oliver Moore is a center on the U S team. So there are guys whose name kind of float around that seven, eight, eight overall. Um, Zach Benson, who a lot of people have some interest in. He's had a really good scoring year playing in the uh I pl- he was playing in whl um so you got all of that to look forward to i mean that's but like those three names right off the bat that i just gave you leonard benson and Moore, are probably three of the five targets that are going to be 
talked about a lot because if you can get past like once you get past the obvious that at least three of the first you know maybe the first three in fairness because of the whole thing with Mishkov maybe the first three are going to quite literally be Bedard Fantilli Carlson and then I you've got four, likely. and then you've got three more until the Flyers pick yep and you know we'll see we'll kind of see from there I'm trying to see if there's any other right out of like right off the top of my head if there's any other names that kind of stand out that I've seen kind of go in their way maybe this uh, Gabriel Perot I saw a little bit of he's also a US you know US prospect um I mean you could feel pretty safe if you thought maybe they'll take an American there cuz there's a lot of American kids in the top portion of this draft you know, don't get I feel me like there always there. is. The U.S. national development team just does such a great job. Well, it, it's it's because it's picked up over the last several years too. You you can't deny that. So, oh yeah, you know, and that's again, these are discussions we'll have way, way, way closer to, uh, you know, closer the, to the draft. yeah, closer to the draft itself. We will. But the idea uh, is that there's names already floating out there that I'm sure people have seen by now, and we'll get into that more later. Yeah. So. All right, we are moving over towards the playoffs here. A uh, quick little break here in the middle, just to remind you to follow us on Twitter at YWT Podcast. Follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Durso. Find us everywhere you find your podcasts. Okay. Uh, second round. So. Okay. Second round, I was excited mm-hmm. because coming in, the first round's a little overwhelming because there's two games in every time slot and they're overlapping and you're switching back and forth and you're basically watching hockey for four hours straight. Second <laughs> round is when things settle down a little bit and you get an early right. game and you get a late game and there's not really crossover unless the early game goes to overtime. And then we had a couple of blowout series. Yeah. Um, do we want to we wanna get kind of the boring ones out of the way off the top? Sure, whatever you whatever order you would like to go right. in. What do, you, what do you want to do? Start with the East, I guess. Is that what yeah, you want to do? Let's let's start in the Which metro. Which one do you want to do for you want to start metro? Okay, hang on. I'm gonna rearrange these first and then okay. we'll do that. All right, so we'll do this first. So that's yeah. what you want to start with. Cause, okay. Cause, God, this series sucked. <laughs> it it really did. Game one, five one canes. Game two, six one canes. Game three, eight four devils in the only entertaining game in the series. Game four, six one canes. Game five, three two canes in overtime. So the, sec- the second most entertaining game in series in the series, but it still kind of sucked. I'm laughing because the first line of my notes is this was an ugly series. The series sucked. It was awful. Yeah. It was, um, it was impressive though watching the Hurricanes score three shorthanded goals and lose game three. Do you realize I found a stat? I, I wish I could remember where it was. I don't know if I bookmarked it. Um, but it was like I think it was like that. This is the fourth time this has happened, or something like that. Really? No, 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 no. Fourth time that a team has scored three shorthanded goals in a playoff game. Oh, okay. I mean, and it's the third time that the team that scored the three has lost. That's hilarious. Like if you have two shorthanded goals. One... Stop. Just dump and chase it. Right. Um. Crazy, right? Um, Insane. But no, I mean. Carolina just imposed their will in this series. They they games one and two were bloodbaths. Um, yep. And then and then the Devils do the same thing that they did against the Rangers and take game three. It's kind of and convincing. you think it's turning, right? It's okay. kind of convincing, and you start to think, 
oh, here they come again. Now we're going to see this kind of crazy series, whatever. And then the game game four hurricane showed up ready to win a Stanley Cup. And game four is where you knew that Carolina was the more experienced team. Well, because even in that game, they come out. Jack Hughes scores two minutes in. Right. And then even from, the, yeah, you're early, even in the early stages of Game Four, you're yeah. thinking it again, like, oh my goodness, are the devils in New Jersey? The Rock is hopping. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what I come away from with this? And Rod Brendamore came to play, baby. <laughs> you okay, what did you come, come away with? That this is a line I've used in playoff shows past, so I'm saying this again. This is not necessarily a prediction, so okay. don't read into it. Completely, but. Doesn't this feel like it's a little bit their time that yeah. the stars are aligning a little bit for Carolina this time around? They've had some shortcomings before, and usually at this point of the playoffs, it's like, oh, they can't really get out. Of the, getting out of the second round is a challenge because they always seem to run into that buzzsaw team. Could be Boston, you know, Boston, the Rangers last year. They got Florida nah, this, in front of them. The on, they only made the, the conference final. They only made the conference finals once. In Rod Brindamore's first season as head coach, I really and otherwise this is where the ride usually ends. Yep, I think you see Carolina now. By the way, no Svechnikov, this, no Pacioretty. By the way, no, led in this series by Jordan Martinuk, no less. And that's off the charts good. And that's why this team is insane. You got goals in that game four dominant victory. I was talking about. You got goals from. Brett Pesci, like you got goals from Jordan Martinook. Yeah. You got like Brett Pesci might have more goals in the playoffs than he had in the regular season. I love Brett Pesci. Brett Pesci is a defensive defenseman. Online. Most of you don't even know who he is because <laughs> Brett Pesci doesn't score points. I think he's got about ninety career points in six seasons. I'm gonna I'm gonna need a quick minute to get this back up on my screen, but I looked I looked at something yesterday that yes, you need to know. Was it the Brett Pesci stats and the fact that he has <laughs> Probably has no, more it's, goals. No, it's I've got the stats for Carolina for the series, by the way. And I just okay. want you to take a okay. So Brett Pesci had two goals, two assists in the series for four points. I want you to tell me who do you think that was more than Brett Burns? Who had fe- uh Brett Burns had three. Ha Shane Goss despair. Three. Uh Brady Shea. No, Brady Shea had a pretty good series, didn't he? Uh Brady only had one goal, so you're right oh, about that. But. Oh, did he lead the entire defensive core? Uh, um, did, did Slavin have as many points as him? Slavin had four points, but God, I love the Carolina Hurricanes defense. My God. Okay, but do you want me to read? You're missing two names that are should be obvious, and this is what shocked me. Okay. Brett Pesci had more points in the series. Than Martin Nakash and Sebastian Ajo. <laughs> Both had three. Rod Brindamore is going to get a statue of him made for every corner of DNC <laughs> Arena. Um, can, can I tell you who the top four point guys in the series were? Or, okay. or better yet, the only four players that were point per game in the series. Okay, go for it. I already, I already mentioned we Jordan, Jordan Martin up. Yeah, Martin Oak had three had a hell goals. Of a series. Martin Oak had three goals. Was Jesper of Fast one of them? Yes, he was. He had so a great Mar- series too. Martin Oak yeah. had three goals and seven assists for ten points. He was at two. He averaged two points per game in the series. 
Uh, Jesper Faust had three goals, three assists, so six points. Yep. Jordan Stahl had two goals, four assists okay. for six points. And the last one, Jesperi Kokaniemi, three goals, two assists, five points. All before you get to, well, Brett Pesci at four, Jacob right. Slavin at four, and Seth Jarvis at four. And I think Seth Jarvis is kind of crossing into that Nakesh stratosphere yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Like, he, he's going to be a really good player for a long time. The so. Carolina Hurricanes are doing this without Andre Fetchnikov mm-hmm. and, and without Max Pacioretty. Holy smokes. Frederick Anderson has not been perfect. No, but he had a really good series. He, he had a good little bounce back series. Particularly I, the three game, or the well, really all four wins because it was one goal, one goal, one goal, and then two, I think, right? Yep. Because that was a 3-2 final in overtime. That was the uh, last result. So really the only game that he gets, I mean, he gives like – you get on the hook for eight goals, which he wasn't on the hook completely for, by the way, because he got pulled in the middle of that game. Right. Um, but you have a game like that, and then one, 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 and two. That's how you win. You'll the take that every good. day of the week. Yep. Well, the goaltending is, and the thing is, the goaltending's good, but collectively, we've talked about this before. Collectively, they play a tight, checking, defensive game. They possess enough skill to know how to beat you, like. You can't take away, like, and this was, okay, funny. I didn't actually get to this when we were talking flyer stuff, but one of the things, because I said something about, you need to know that today's game is speed and skill, right? Yep. And, of like, I get I get countered with, have you even watched the playoffs? Look at how Carolina and Florida are doing. It's like, yeah. Is Sebastian Ajo that guy, though? No. Right. And he doesn't need to be. They've built a team that it makes it so he doesn't need to be. Now, on the other hand, this other team we're about to, they they do have a lot of their superstars tied up in their shenaniganery. Um, the most important probably being Matthew Kachuk. Uh, I am, of course, talking about the Florida Panthers. Uh, and if you're here, if you're listening to this show, you already know the Leafs lost. Uh, <laughs> after three games, it was 3 nothing Florida. And Toronto really looked shell-shocked. Kevin, are you surprised that Game 4 went Toronto's way? Because <laughs> I kind of was. Am I surprised that Game... Oh, that it wasn't a sweep. That they got any. Yeah. Um, Because after the first three, boy, Toronto looked broken. Do you want to know what my real answer is to that? Okay. I'm not surprised that they won Game 4. I'm surprised the way they won Game 4. Is that fair? Fair like, enough. if you would have told me that they win a, a 5-4 game in Game 4, I would have believed you. If you would have told me it was 2-1 to one with the way that everything else was going, I wouldn't have. What if I told you the Leafs never scored more than two goals in that series? Would you have picked them to win? I mean, no, obviously. I mean, like... There you go. Like, you, that, like, that team was not built to win 2-1 games. I know they won Game 5, 2-1. to one. That team was not built to win... Two nothing, two one games. They just weren't. No. And the, the Florida and Panthers did a great job of clogging the neutral zone and clogging the blue line well, and grinding it out. Because pushing, the answer getting for dirty Florida, in the corners. Yeah. Well, because the answer for Florida is this: like, a they just kind of kept riding that wave because again, it, it, it's very. 
I don't want to completely say it's carefree, but they are playing loose. I mean, you can't deny that. They're playing with a team that has Sergei Bobrovsky behind them playing some of his best hockey. And that's the, that when Sergei Bobrovsky is at the top of his game, when he is sane, because that's a, that's a relevant issue. Uh, they are, he is one of the best goalies in the world. Right. And they are playing like a team that has one of the best goalies in the world behind them. Simple as that. I disagree with it. I mean, look, it's... And will it the, stay the, that way? I don't know. Right. Well, and the thing but. about Toronto is when, when the scoring just dries up like it did, I it, mean... It dried up bad. I mean, I'm sorry, the, like... The reason why a lot of people and, and uh, you know, I want to make sure that I capture this as well, because um, where did I put my stuff at here? Oh, because I OK, because in fairness, do you, uh, I didn't write yours down, by the way. I forgot this. What did you have for the Carolina series really quick? I had remember this. I had Canes in five. Oh, you had Canes in five. All right. And I had Canes in six, which. Fair enough. I, I actually uh, feel pretty good about this. I called it pretty perfectly. The Devils came out and won game three at home, kind of that traditional mm-hmm. we're coming home game. And that's fair. And, and um, the Carolina Hurricanes just kind of said, well, sure, you got one, but we're the better team here. Um, now, I what did you have for the Toronto-Florida series? I, th- I picked the Leafs, and I believe it was six. See, okay, and I had Toronto in seven. So, d- look, I don't feel bad about Florida winning the series. I felt like there was some of that that was going to carry over. Part of my reasoning, though, is because when you go through the last handful of games that Toronto had played to get to this point, and Austin Matthews is on great. a four, if Austin Matthews is on a four-game goal streak, yep, and Matthews, it's Gichuk like it's all no, heating up at the you. right time. And oh, by the way, so how many goals did Austin Matthews score in this series? None. Matthew Kachuk and Alex Barkov did a fantastic job with the Toronto Maple Leafs top units. You know, so how many, you know, how many goals did Austin Matthews score? That would be zero. How many goals did John Tavares score? That would be zero. Zero. Okay. You know, how many, you know, and then Mitch Marner gives you one and is second on the team in points with three in the series. (sighs) Nylander's the same two goals, three points. And your top scorer in five games is Morgan Riley with a goal and four points. That's not going to cut it. And and it's and not like cur- and they are careening towards a tumultuous offseason. Oh, sure. And I the, the one thing I saw that I agree with, and it's kind of why you don't wait on things like when we were talking about all the flyer stuff, you don't wait on things per se. Is. I don't know, like, what more would you like Kyle Dubas to do? You go Hello? out. And you, get, you go out and you get Ryan O'Reilly. You go out and you get Nolachari. You get you do you get all Jake of these McCabe. Things. You get you, you pick back Sam up Luke Lafferty. Shen. Yep. You pick back up Luke Shen, who looked the part. Right? Looks the like only, he's a good fit. The only thing you didn't do that you could theoretically criticize for him for is he didn't shore up his goaltending. Samsonov was not bad. When well, he got but, hurt halfway through, too. Well, so right. Cool. And then uh, Joseph Wall came in and looked great. Quite frankly, he's probably going to be your backup next year, minimum. I I can't tell you how bad I felt for him in that overtime because he's doing everything he can. Yep. yep. And it, it you can't let him wear the whole result. I mean, at the end of the day, and by the way, this is another part of the comment that I want to bring up, by the way, because the other part of the comment was, I suppose you want them to build like, 
you know, because again, it was you ha have you watched the playoffs with with Carolina and Florida? And I suppose you want them to build like Toronto. No, I don't want my team to be built or you know the team that I cover, or I would not build a team based on three players making more of your salary cap. Right, three players making double digit salary cap hits only yeah. to disappear in the playoffs. Do so you know what that looks like, by the way? Because everybody should know what it looks like. It's the exact same criticism that everybody had of Claude Giroux for all those years. Where does it go? Right? Yep. Where did he go? All you know, big seat, big regular season, the playoffs come, factored out. What happened? Right? Well, at what point in time do you start going, what happened, Austin Matthews? What happened, John Tavares? What happened, Mitch Marner? For the record, uh, Marner's kind of picked that up, picked that reputation up already a little bit. And Marner was, you know, in fairness to Marner, I think Marner looked better than the other two did in those games. Like, at least looked like he had a pulse, and Nylander scored a key tying goal. Nylander's not going anywhere. You can't trade him. Not, it, unless <laughs> See, I don't know if I'm, I'm, the I'm only, not convinced. The only way you're trading Nylander is if you're tearing it all down. Because I think Nylander's the easiest one out of the group to move because I think I it's agree. harder to just, it's harder I, to justify the other three. You trade your captain. You trade I agree, your 60 goal not, scorer from a couple of years ago. If you trade Nylander, you have to trade another one because you're not going to trade Nylander and get better for his money. You're just not. Um, and is it possible that the two that stay are Matthews and Tavares and it's Marner? I think, and there's been a lot of talk about this. And I wouldn't do that, by the way. I'm just saying, is it possible? Matthews yes, it is, is, right? Matthews is eligible to sign an extension July 1st. If you don't know by draft day that you got a pretty good shot at signing him. Yeah, you're in trouble then. I guess, do you consider right? it? Um, yeah, Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you, you call up old be... Danny. You call up old Danny Briere and say, "Hey, how's number seven overall plus your first round pick next year sound for Austin Matthews?" Which one? <laughs> Which first rounder next year? Yours. Yeah, I know. Um, Although I with know. Austin Matthews, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Do you know the thing that actually worries me about Austin Matthews? And it's not like it's completely like it. It doesn't completely affect him, but he's had enough injuries around the hand. It's, it's starting like, to get that. It nervous. just feels like, like yeah. you know what it makes me wonder. It's not him on a team with guys like Tavares and Nylander and, and Marner. He'll be able to score on that team. So, I think that that would be a potential fleecing for Toronto in the long run. If you send him to the Flyers, let's say, because you're trying to entice them with a superstar level player who may not, you know, be the same level player when when the contract is whatever contract he gets is up. You know what I mean? Like it just is what it is. Anyway, like looking at Florida on the other hand, though, like it's funny. You know who else didn't score a goal in the series that has been scoring a ton in the playoffs? Matthew Kachuk didn't score, but he didn't have to score. It doesn't That's matter. Yeah. By the way, Florida. Okay, let's counter Florida the same way we countered. Um, Carolina, right? Because I look at Carolina and you want to talk about playing playoff style hockey and having guys that play that style of game. And I'm not disagreeing with that at all, but I don't view Sebastian Ajo that way. I don't view Nakesh that way. I don't view Jarvis that way. That's fair. You know, like they've got other guys who I think know how to play from a skill standpoint. And when it comes to the Florida Panthers, I don't even have to think about it. I mean, no. it, look, Kachuk's got an edge to him, so I guess like he's he's one of the few that no, probably the, balances both sides of the scale really well. The Florida Panthers have Radko Gudis driving screens on an overtime winner, and I get that. But what I'm talking about is that like I don't view Alexander Barkov as 
that kind of player. I think he's just a good defensive player who can score. Absolutely. Fine. I don't view, you know, you're going to tell me that Carter Verhage's not speed and skill, that Barkov can't be speed and skill, that Sam Reinhardt's not speed and skill. Like, That's fair. And, and, and that, which brings me to an interesting point, by the way, because I think that, and maybe maybe this got overshadowed in the Boston series a little more than the like than what happens from here on out because I think the Boston series was just so it was so shocking. Like, I agree to receive to receive the well, and especially when they're down three one. So like, let's be real, they're down three one, and you're immediately going to that. And I think it was the shock of well, they came back against that team. That's a big surprise. That's then a confidence do, boost unlike any other. Which it is. Sure. Then they do this to Toronto, though, and I think that now, like, I think people forgot how good they were a season ago. Like, that this team got straight up swept away by Tampa in the second round last year after winning the President's Trophy. It's not like it all disappeared. Now, look, Kachuk's a some, newcomer. He did some pretty major roster surgery. Right. Kachuk's a newcomer, but Barkov, Reinhardt, Verhage, they stayed. They've gotten better. Brandon Montour completely filled whatever <sighs> void we thought, whatever void we thought Mackenzie Weger was going to leave behind. He's filled yep. it, and then when you need it most, Sergey Bobrovsky morphed back into the Vesna guy. Don't look now, but who's developing defensemen for the Florida Panthers? Because they're they're starting to they're starting to churn out some talent. Don't look now, but who's getting a lot of airtime when they win a game, like? Think about the brains behind some of this operation. This is Bill Zito as the general manager. Yep. Roberto Luongo has involvement with this team. Like, just think about the brains behind some of this operation. This is not like, this is not the early 2000s Florida Panthers. No, no and they now find themselves in the conference finals. Awesome. Uh, I think it's, a, and I don't absolutely. think that's bad. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, there's people who paint it as a bad thing. Like that, it's all southern. Th- like it's pretty funny for the ratings market that you're telling me you got Raleigh, North Carolina versus Sunshine, Florida as your Eastern Conference final I, match. I want to, but I'm gonna be curious to see if they can come out like because there was a lot Carolina of Carolina shows home. up. Well, that's the thing that I, like that's that's kind of the argument that I want to make. I can understand some of the stuff with Florida, and don't get me wrong, I think the Florida crowds in the playoffs have been really good. But you can kind of play with the regular Man. season and go. Kind of where pretty, is everybody? They were pretty blue crowds during the Toronto series, even with it, your. It's not perfect. I, I'm agreeing with you. It's not perfect. I'm just like I'm saying the way that that crowd reacted during Game Six against Boston, and again, heavy contingent of Boston fans making it down there. Oh yeah, it still was a good crowd for oh, a yeah. kind of for more than just you know your typical like handful of fans ma- visiting fans made it in the building for the playoff game, right? Yeah, but Raleigh, honestly, so remember a couple years ago when Nashville made their cup run and their fan base got a really big, like national boost. Yep. Carolina's due for something like that. They don't do the fun chant thing. Well, they got storm search though. It, but you know what I mean? Everybody I loved Nashville's post goal celebration <laughs> that year. And it was fun. It was fun. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I hear you. But Carolina is due for a similar breakout on the national we're, uh, stage. And so I do going- really think this is going to be good for them. So we're going back to the text conversation then that we had a little while ago because I believe that I believe that this is no longer that type of market. I look, they're always going to be categorized categorized as small market, small market. because yeah. 
population-wise. Raleigh, right? North Carolina is not a large town. Right. It's, it's just it's, Raleigh, North Carolina is not New York. It's not L.A. It's not Philly. It's not Boston. It's not Detroit. It's not any it's of It's not even Charlotte in the state fair. of North Carolina. And fair enough. Right. Here are the things that I think make it different. First of all, I, I think you got to give a ton of credit to Rod Brindamore. Because I think Rod Brindamore, let's just say, Brindamore as a captain of that team helped get them on the map a little bit in the mid 2000s to begin Rod, with. Rod Brindamore has to be the single biggest figure in Carolina Hurricanes history in terms of on ice representation. There is, I want you to tell me how he's supposed to be anywhere else in this league going forward. How you I can told you, he's going to have statues of him in every no, I know. corner That's of PNC how Arena. Can you picture, like, like everybody's shelf life usually dries up after a while. How can he go anywhere else, especially if he wins another cup? As a nah, coach, he's, he's going to be David Poyle. He's going to be there for 25 years. He'll be the GM eventually, and then he'll retire I don't and just play golf in North Carolina. I don't even think he'll be the GM. I, I think don't he think he has any president. desire to be the GM. That's fair. I think he just goes to president. You know what? I think people. he'll talk to Jonesy for about six. In about six months, Jonesy will call him and go, hey, this president of hockey office thing is pretty sweet. And, jo- and Brindy will go, yeah, you're right. Okay. That sounds good. Um, I'll do that one day, too. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say six months because I think that that, that dude's got the hunger in him still to win more. No, than I'm not saying he things. makes the move in six months. I'm saying they have the no, conversation in six months. Maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> All right. Do we want to do we want to talk about the Eastern Conference final now? Um. Ah, we can table it a little bit, but I want to finish okay. the Carolina thing. Really yeah, quick. yeah, Because yeah. So Brendan Moore is a big part of why I think that they've emerged out of that. I think that you take that, you add in, um, you add in the fact that they've had a couple of play. Like, since Brendan Moore took over, they've made the playoffs every year. They've won rounds, I think, every year except for the bubble year. That's okay. the only year that they didn't make it out of the first round of the playoffs. Um, so that gives you a bunch of second-round series. Now two conference finals, because this will be their second under Brenda Moore. Yep. And what you know, and on top of that, getting an outdoor game this past season. Like th- these are steps that are taken. Like, think about it. Nashville, like, let's use Nashville as an example. They made a cup final. They now all of a sudden it's everybody get to your TVs when Nashville's on in the playoffs because the crowd's insane. And then it's a few years down the line, they get a they get an outdoor game too. Yep. Right? Because why not? It's growing. Like, why do you think, like, and it's not even going to be, I believe, right? It's not even going to be in Vegas, but Vegas is getting an outdoor game next year. Why do you think that is? Because it's working. Like, what that, you know, the league makes plenty of mistakes. And believe me, there's been plenty of reasons. Again, we're back on this a little bit. And this is a fair, I guess, a fair time to bring it up to an extent because it's all encompassing playoff talk. I've seen a lot of best sport, worst league comments okay. all playoff long. And it's fair. It's warranted. Yeah. It, it deserves criticism. The one thing, I, one of the things I think that they've done right, especially under Gary Bettman, that has worked is you've seen, and this is going to be a really good segue into the two West series because I think yeah. this is relevant. They've been able to expand fairly well. And, and like, look, Atlanta aside, I get how Atlanta has consistently thrown away the opportunity to have a hockey team. Yep. But it's working like, okay, shocker. It's not like exactly a surprise that it's going to work in Minnesota and it's going to work in Winnipeg. I get that, but it's worked in Nashville. It's worked in Columbus. It's worked in Vegas and it's worked in Seattle. 
Fair enough. So you've got multiple examples of franchises in cities where you maybe thought, how is this going to be possible? How is this going to work? And it's standing the test of time. These are franchises that we will continue. I mean, how do you go wrong with a franchise like Vegas? Let's segue into their series now, I suppose. How do you go wrong with a franchise like Vegas making it to their fourth conference final in six seasons? How do you go wrong with that? The Vegas Golden Knights. It's insane. We, We looked at that. I remember... Looking at the original roster in 2017, 2018, whatever year it was, looking at the original roster and going, man, if this team wins 35 games, it'll be an accomplishment. And then they went into the playoffs and almost won 16. <laughs> they won like 14 games in the playoffs alone. They won 13, actually. 13. Yes. Was, okay. I'm sorry. It was 4 1 in the cup final. But I thought it was game six. Okay, fair enough. No, game um, five is what it was. But let's right, not. Forget, they, had the, they had home ice. Okay. But let's not forget that they were very much in that game. I mean, like. Oh, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I now you're going back to the Holtby save and all that stuff. Like, I mean, there was a couple of games where one thing one way or the other, and they could have been on the cusp of winning a cup. Yeah. So, like. And we sit here, you know, all these years later, and something that you and I actually were joking about before the show. Almost no original members. Like they have essentially flipped over almost the entire roster except for that one line from that original season, Carlson, Marcius O'Reilly, Smith. And, yeah, well, I'm and there are a couple more familiar, you know, say, well, we, we talked about I get it before. Up the stats from their series, you know, just to point out that, uh, you know, two out of the three, well, all three of them had contributions, but two out of the three in particular did a lot of things in six games. Yeah. Um, so in the first round, by the way, I think this was the most, uh, high octane series. This was the most, um, blink and you'll miss it. You can't look away. Anything can happen. Series. Quite frankly, that I've seen in a long time. Like this felt a lot like Pittsburgh Flyers 2012. Like just that high scoring, anything can happen. The only downside is that it was a little too one-sided scoring in most the of the most games. Yeah. Like, like you had a really good competitive game one. It's a six-four final. Like, it, yeah, that's that's that high intensity. Uh, like, I get it, thousand percent. And then you get five-one, five-one, four-one, and you blinked, and it it's tied two-two in the series because after that Vegas winning game one, that was r- really close. You got three, you got two Edmonton blowouts and a Vegas blowout in the middle of it. And it's like, okay. Yeah, this series felt a lot like the team spent the first four games each taking their pound of flesh from each other. And then five and six were when they were going to decide it. Right. And I think the series turned in game five, to be honest. Yep. And we get to five and six and Vegas just kind of turns the screws and the stars come out a little bit. And honestly, I think it. They did a great job. I know I know Connor McDavid is still leading the playoffs in points and still had, I think, <laughs> three points in uh, game five. Yeah. Um, but they did a great job containing him, all things considered. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing, too, because this is where this, this is where the series changes for me, because it happened twice in the last two games. Okay. Both games, Edmonton's the team that comes away with an edge at some point. Right. Yep. Like game five, Edmonton has the edge and they. Bang, bang, bang! Three goals, very quick, and three just goals like in that, a you look up, half. right? And you look up, and it's four-two Vegas, and the yep. Oilers get the, 
and the Oilers get one of them back in the third period, and it's a great look. I just saw it again today. It's a great goal by McDavid. I'm not taking anything away from him, but they just can't complete that comeback. And then in game six again, Vegas was on the board in seconds, and then Edmonton was on the board in seconds. Man. And then Edmonton scores again, and we're not even two and a half minutes into the game, and it's two to one. That game felt like an 8-7 game. It, it just felt like it and ended up not being that. But in the second period, Jonathan Marshall show just took over. Well, and that's the thing. Know? Edmonton gets that 2-1 lead, and this holds for a while. Like, this is early first period, and you play an entire period worth of hockey, yep. and nothing else has changed yet. It's still 2-1. And then Jonathan Marshall out. Takes over natural hat trick in the in the second period alone. By the way, the, and that was, the three the three goal scorers in Game Six. Riley Smith opened it. Jonathan Marchessault got the natural hat trick in the second period. William Carlson got the empty net. Come on, baby! All comes back. Come to on, the, baby! Uh, the scriptwriters are getting lazy. <laughs> you know, but it's very much you know, and we just had this argument with the uh, Toronto series a little bit. Because it happened again. McDavid gets his points, and Drysaddle got his. And as a result, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is getting points, and Zach Hyman's getting points, and Evan Bouchard's getting points. And that five group of five is on the ice for power plays and contributing. But the supporting cast dries up. Where were, again, where were all of the players that we talked about in the first round? Where was Clem Costin? Where was Nick Bukestad? Where, you know, Where's Kyler Yamamoto? Where's where was Evander Kane? Yep. Like you lose some of those players and all like in in that contributing fashion. And you know, you can't just expect McDavid Drysidle to do it all in their own. And I think Drysidle took a hit like the slash that should have warranted more. I do want to jump into that. Did. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I like, do actually want to touch on that. So game game four, I mentioned that the first four games of this series where the team's kind of taking their pound of flesh from each other, that reached its pinnacle at the, towards the end of game four. Um, when it was clearly out of hand, by the way. Game four was really, really nasty. Like It got right. nasty in the first period, and it stayed that way the entire game. Um, there was a lot of dirty stuff going on. Both sides, it's, it's deep in a playoff series. It's going to yeah. happen. The most egregious incident, and I think it's uh, it's pretty well clear, given the fact that he was suspended for it. Um, Alex Petrangelo comes down and full blown two hand chops. It's the it's wrist. the it's the Adam Banks chop. Yeah, kind of is. It's I it's the you. Iceland chop across Banks's wrist. It full blown is. It's the same exact two. Petrangelo's might have been worse, frankly. Yeah. He just two hand over the top. Great sword just what, tries you mean to, to put it directly through his arm. You what you mean to tell me a guy in his thirties with you know that weighs two hundred and twenty pounds or whatever whatever Petrangelo weighs? Um, well, I just mean know, I think he swung it farther. Well, I hear you, but I'm saying you, you mean to tell me that there was probably more force behind that than a movie that involves teenagers. Well, like, well the Iceland guy just kind of lifted it up like a high stick and then chopped it down. Petrangelo came all the way over the head. Yeah, and he brought it down hard on Drysaddle's wrist. Thank God it hit the pad or something because he seemed to be relatively okay. If all right. annoyed, and that really got out of hand at that point. Um, sure. In the 
you know, immediate aftermath, Darnell Nurse starts a panel or starts a fight, which in the last five minutes, he is also given an instigator for that, which in the last That's five where it minutes, comes in, yes. Right. Which in the last five minutes uh, is an automatic one game suspension. Now, right. that that can be rescinded. You can mm-hmm. appeal it and it can be rescinded. And I, I assume the Oilers did and it was not. Right. Uh, the issue from my end, however, is the fact that uh, Alex Petrangelo was only given one game. When you know Darnell Nurse is getting the one game. Now, if if you decide to rescind Nurse's, I think I'm okay leaving Petrangelo at one game, all things Same. considered. That's exactly what I was about to say. I think it's okay if it's one. But if, if you're going to uphold Nurse's, and that's fine. And if you want to uphold Nurse's, that is also fine. He did a thing that you're not allowed to do. I, I say it all the time, call the rule book. That's the rule book. He gets a game. I'm fine with that. Petrangelo has to get more. Hello? Right. Like, um, we're not even talking about comparing incidents, like, from this game and this game and context and this and that. They were right there. They happened right next to each other. I, this is I, worse than that. I think the right call then was, like, I think that, that in hindsight then, if you want to go with what the right thing to do would have been, I think Petrangelo getting a game is fine. And they needed to take away. Then you need to rescind nurses. Well, no, but yeah. I, I'll give you the full reason why. If the the freaking captain of the team, who nurse fought against, yeah. tells you that the other party, which was Nick Hague, by the way, was the was a willing participant. The other captain did. This isn't like it's not like McDavid said. I don't know what they're doing. He, For the record, Connor McDavid immediately jumped Alex Petrangelo. He immediately started trying to fight Alex Petrangelo. That's how blatant that uh, was. You know, uh, and in fairness, attempted to until probably as he got into it, realized, oh, my goodness, don't get yourself hurt in the process. Correct. Like, like that's you don't want that to happen. I, look, I understand why he's doing it, of course. In the moment, you don't. Connor McDavid handled that fantastically. Yeah, I did. was not he right. He did fine. I just think, like, we're not talking about Connor McDavid saying to the media afterwards, well, they can't like if they're going to suspend him, they shouldn't uphold it because the other side was willing and ready to go. Right. right. No, the captain of the guy's own team is telling you he accepted the fight before the face off even happened. Yep. This was mutually agreed upon it. Like, basically, it shouldn't be a suspension. Right. Like he didn't say those exact words, obviously, but he gave you enough information that you should be able to take it into account and say, this is not a an instigation penalty. We're going to rescind that. Best game, worst league. Exactly because because it doesn't line up. It doesn't make any sense. And that might be, like that might be the episode title. It's one of those. <laughs> and all I right. Think, I think the episode title is still going to probably gear on. That's fair. You know. All al- right. Al- although we have in the past used keeping up with the Joneses, so we can't use that one again. <laughs> I kind right. of kind of wish we didn't waste. That I one know, on right, Joe. <laughs> Speaking of Martin right. Jones, you want to bounce it? Well, hold on. I, 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 I want to make one more point on Vegas, and then we'll yeah, go to Seattle yeah. and Dallas series. Vegas looks because, great. Well, because they continue to show that they've got depth. That's the yep. point. Like They have depth at goaltending. Who right, has depth they at goaltending? Change? They haven't I mean, even had to play Jonathan Quick yet. Haven't had to play Jonathan Quick. Laurent Aiden Persuad, Hill's been great. Laurent Persuad gets hurt in the middle of the series. Looks it looks like he's done for the playoffs the way that it, like that it's shaping up to be. I mean, it's it looked bad. Yep. Which is a bummer because he was playing outstanding leading up Fantastic, to. Fantastic. But then yeah. Aiden Hill comes in, and I'm not going to lie to you. He comes in, and you're starting to think, oh, dear God, now the back, the backup to the – it feels like the backup to the backup, because which is actually the truth. I mean, it really is the truth, is it not? 
because it's like, no, he he's the third stringer there. Right, right. Because in a perfect yeah. world, it's Logan Thompson, Laurent Brassois, Aiden Hill. I mean, you got Jonathan Quick, obviously, like we've mentioned, and you can slot him in in whatever position you would like to. But it was Logan Thompson for a majority of the year, and now remember, it's been. Remember Robin Lanner? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, insane. You know, and I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I saw that Aiden Hill was going in, and I thought, oh boy, you know, McDavid's about to have a field day. Me too. And it's not like he didn't score on him. But he's the only one who scored on him, and that's it. That makes a difference. So, you know. Anyway, back to the part where they make their fourth conference final in six seasons. That's just remarkable. It's isn't it? insane. Like, They've like, really done a great job like, of just continuing to be excellent. Consider the fact that it's already an accomplishment in and of itself to do that at any point in your franchise's history. Four years in the comp, like this. Four is and we, six. Like this is what we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, like. Oh, look, you made it four times in six years and three Stanley Cup finals in a row. That's amazing, right? What? Like, this is the first six years the franchise has even been in existence. They missed the playoffs last year. Yeah, and they're just, and we were all stunned by it. Yes. And they, they, and they are, made a coaching change. They are an honest to goodness juggernaut. And you and know what? If, if they had lost this series, they might have made another coaching change. And you know what? Good for Bruce Cassidy, by the way. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, like, yeah. Were we or were we not talking about this, at least this being part of a coaching matchup somewhere down the line? We've already, you know, there's pretty clear cut an ideal, not an ideal, but there's like a dream coaching matchup that could happen in the Stanley Cup final if two teams in particular make it. Like I don't know. We do do have a pretty good one in the East that we'll talk about in a second. Um, The coaching (laughs) matchup is great. Uh, So one one more matchup out West here. And I know I said, I know I said that Edmonton Vegas was probably the most fun. And I agree. By the way, who'd you have in the, uh, who who did you end up having in Vegas? I had Edmonton in, I think it was six or seven. So I definitely had a long series. I had Edmonton in seven and obviously I'll take the L there. Yeah, we both did. Um, Um, In this series though, I was correct. Uh, same I here. did indeed have the Dallas Stars beating the Seattle Kraken. I don't think I had seven. I think I had five or six. I think but... we were in agreement. I think we both had six because I okay. had six. Uh, and... I, I thought the Dallas Stars were going to win it in six, to, to be honest with you. They're sitting here after game five, up three, two. Yeah. Man, you mentioned earlier that <laughs> for the Carolina Hurricanes, the Stars were starting to come out and you were starting to get some high-end scoring. And obviously not so much in this particular series. But man, the Dallas Stars. The isn't Dallas fun, Stars. Isn't this a fun team? This might be like it might be and I'm not trying to spoil anything here, and I'm not trying to you know, I'm not trying to play favorites or whatever, but this might be my favorite team left in the playoffs. The hey, way that, uh, they are the easily they're my favorite like it's the my like I'm trying to explain this the right way. It's my favorite like the my favorite method of being built. Like I I love the way this team is built, and I've said that multiple times before. They've done I love an incredible the way job. this team is built. Yep. I mean, the fact that they're still getting meaningful contributions from Ben and Sagan while <laughs> seamlessly bringing in your, uh, you know, Delandrias and Heiskinens and Robertsons and, and Delandria doesn't even and... play every game. That's the thing. I know he, he doesn't. doesn't have I know. To play all of them. And no, you I, did you already? I think you already said the name that I know. I didn't even mention with. Joe Pavelski. No, I no, did. but you. So, you said, the, but you said the young name that I think we want to get to, which is I why. did, and I'm going to get into it this particular way. So, Kevin, if you were on the voting committee and you <laughs> were casting a Con Smythe vote right now, 
with the teams uh, we know moving forward. You know, obviously you're not going to pick Connor McDavid. That was they're eliminated. That wasn't that wasn't the name that I was going to bring up, but I know what name you want. But me who to would, say. who would you who would you probably vote for? Because I know who <laughs> I would vote for. You can vote for whoever you want. Miro Heiskanen's a good option. Jake Ottinger's a solid option. There's a um, couple of players in the Carolina series that I can so, make a run for. But I think there's a name that we all know, and if you've been listening to this <laughs> podcast for a while, you might have an idea of who I'm thinking of. Hey, Kevin, who would you vote for for Con Smythe at the moment? Now, you know my method to this, which is I go by, like, I st- and it's funny. Around this time, I start thinking about who's left and who on those teams would be there. And to be honest with you, there's... It's time to start looking. Yeah. There's a couple of teams that still are left that we'll, we'll get, we can get into that I think it's hard to make a decision. Like, I like I think the team we just talked about is, has a tough time. Who do you it, pick for Vegas? It might be Petrangelo for only getting one game. No, I think there's actually another answer that I would go with. Well, Fair. there's there's two. I I think there's two that Is are tied. Eichel? Eichel's been I, great. Eichel's one of them, but I Eichel's been great. But I th- I think you got to give a little consideration to Mark Stone because of I what agree. it meant for him to come back at this time. I agree. Um, and then like because Caroline is the other tough one, by the way. Because I, because I don't look, I don't think without a shadow of a doubt, I think you know who number one is on Florida right now. It's got to be Bobrovsky. I agree. Absolutely. It's got to be. I mean, Kachuk would probably be second, but it's got to be Bobrovsky. Is it Jacob Slavin in Carolina? Um, no, like, I'm still leaning Ajo there probably. But Honestly, I think Carolina is still the most wide open race. Not as, only do I think. As far as, like, on an individual team level. Not only do I think it's such a wide open race, but I would venture on the side of that if Carolina were to win the Stanley Cup based on the way things have gone so far. I mean, if somebody emerges in this series, then we could change our minds completely, right? But. In the first two rounds, like, you know who the MVPs of the playoffs are for that team? It's Rod Brindamore and Don Waddell. Like, it's yeah, the, they're not eligible to win the Cons. The coach of the team and the people who built the team. Like, yep. seriously. Um, so, so what you're so like? I almost is... would venture on the side of like I almost would venture on the side of if Carolina won the Stanley Cup today, based on the two rounds so far. That Carolina beats the losing team could win the contest. I, I was about to say Carolina beats the Dallas Stars in seven one nothing games, and Jake Ottinger wins the Smythe. <laughs> I mean, so I have a th- like I know what name you want me to say, and I'm going to say his name. So give me a second. I actually okay. think because you brought up. You brought up Ottinger. I think Ottinger's actually fallen out of the running a little bit because for now, yeah, he got pulled a little too much in that series for me. I really yeah, like, like a game, a game, a game seven performance like he had. If he has one more good game six or seven performance, he's right back in it. Well, I, I think I, let's this way. He, we're not gonna ha- we 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 won't be able to have that discussion. He's gonna have to be that level good for them to make it to the next. You're probably game. right. Like, yeah, like. You might be able to get away with that against Seattle for a couple of games. I don't think you can get away with it against Vegas. Um, I do think that Miro Heiskanen deserves a lot of talk. I mean, did Man. you see the number? Did you see the numbers? By the way, he played like something like eleven and a half minutes in the third period yesterday. As, so- as somebody who's had him in sim league for a very long time, that Dude, kid, funny. that kid plays a ton. He yeah, he had action. over 30 minutes. He played like every night. Minutes. He, he, played he like, plays a half hour every night. You know, he played like 32 minutes last night. And in the 32, out of the third, like out of that 32, I think 11 and a half were third period. He is Just everything. Insane. He's everything that we thought Ivan Provorov was four years ago. Well, look at where he went in the draft, though. I mean, like, I know. He, you know, no, I, but I'm, I'm just and I'm not I'm not complaining about Ivan Provorov. I'm just saying. All the things that we sat here on this show two, three, four years ago you know, and said about Ivan Provorov, do you know all what I of those are applicable about, about Mira Heiskanen. Do you know what more. I will complain about, though? 
Okay. I don't like that this guy, but like maybe now he will a little bit. I don't like that this guy doesn't feel like he gets the due he deserves lined up next to Kale McCarr. Like he doesn't though. Like everybody focuses on McCarr because McCarr is both. You know, he back like the speed he has makes him back check better, and he can defend well, and he can create offense from defense, and he's a really good offensive player. So can Miro Heiskanen, man. No, but Heiskanen doesn't have the goal scoring numbers. He's only got forty four career goals and two hundred career like two hundred and four career points in three hundred. Like like you see the numbers that Makar puts up, and you're sitting there looking at the end of the day, and you're going, like, look at the regular Where is season. That? No, yeah. you're looking at the regular season career numbers, and okay, fine. This season. Heiskanen had 11 goals and 73 points, 62 assists, and you're like, okay, there it is. But before that, his highest point total was 36, and his highest goal total was 12 one year. Like, I think people folk are, are get fixated on the offensive numbers and don't realize that in the course of that, and I can't look up exactly what all, like I'd have to go to, I'm on NHL.com, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not on Hockey Reference at this very given moment, but he only played and he got hurt in this game a little bit. That's why it happened this way. He only played 11 minutes and 12 seconds in game. This would be game three of the series because he had to leave the game early and didn't come back right away. By the way, has come back with a, the full bubble on and a, right. just, a, just an ugly hole in his face. Right. And oh, by the way, so after that, th- these are these are the ice times for games four through seven in this order. Mm-hmm. So game four, 31 2 2559, 2857, 3207. Wait, what game was 2559? Five. That was game five. Was that the game they were up big? No, yeah, that it was, sure, it sure no. was. They were up. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, no, yes, it was. Sorry. Yeah, they were up 3 2 in the third period. Hint scored about halfway through the third period. I guarantee you he didn't play a whole lot down the stretch there. Probably not. Guarantee and, you that's where most of those minutes went. Well, and you had, to get, you had game. Game one, which went to overtime, where he only crossed, I mean, he probably only crosses over the half hour because of overtime, but 34 54, you know, and then 20, you know, game two, 28 51. Like, you're right. Like, a game that gets out of hand, he gets pulled back and plays 25 minutes, not 28, but the rest, rest of the he legs. plays yep. 28. Yep. 28 to 30 something, you know, like, but I know who you want me to say. I know yes. what name you want me to say for like the cons, Mike. Then I agree with you. It's got to be Rope Hands. It's Rope Hands. He has had such a good series. Come on now. Uh, um, it was not quite the series that like the first round where no. he led the league in scoring after the first round. But you Better know what, McDavid. But you know what? With the fact that three of the top four aren't going to be getting any more points this postseason. Oh, I know. He's going to he's going to move up and clear some well, space in a hurry. So I get. I guess now I can. Uh, what's it called? I can take off the uh, date range of just the second round here and yeah. find find everybody. Yeah. And find that Rope Hints is one point behind Connor McDavid with an extra game, but that's about it. Like, and and Connor's not going to play anymore. <sighs> the only player who can come, I want to say, can come close, but to that an is extent, in the range. I mean, Matthew Kachuk's got 16 points and yeah. Hintz has got 19. Kachuk could certainly... I mean, you got to remember something, too. Kachuk had 11 points in the seven-game series against Boston yep. and then had five against, you know, against Toronto. And now has to go up against Carolina, who is not worse than Toronto defensively. No, but I almost wonder if that brings it out more. Like Maybe. Like, well, and he's probably going to be focused a little less on being a Kachuk. 
in the third round because Carolina just doesn't really play that game. Not as much as Toronto does. Right. Matthew, anyway, um, Matthew Kachuk ran a field day through Toronto because Toronto you know, is, quite yeah. frankly, mentally soft. But, you know, uh, so but like this was a weird series, too, because game one was spectacular. You know, Pavelski gets the four goals in game one to tie it up and, you know, ties the game up. Seattle had four goals in the first period, crazy. which is crazy. Um, it goes to overtime. And, and again, Seattle wins in game one. And you're like, you know what? Like, like right there, I knew we had a series. They can't keep you know? getting away with it. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was the same feeling I had when they played Colorado. You win one, especially the first one. And I'm like, all right, you're here to play. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And then from there, I mean, the next few games just, you know, you know, a 4-2 game in game two isn't bad, but like 7-2, 6 Pendulum three, five, swung two, heavy six, in 6-3 three again. It was like, you know, it was pretty obvious early on in a lot of these games which team was winning the game. It definitely wasn't a series for goaltending in those middle games. You mean, no. I mean, Grubauer's getting pulled. Ottinger's getting pulled. It Neither was, goalie looked rough. great. And then game seven was everything that you want it to be. Like it was tense. a great game seven. You know that the first goal is going to be crucial. And who else but Rope Hints? Rope Hints. Well, I mean, it's Enormous. an awful, it's an, it's an awful play at the blue at your own blue line to turn the puck over there. And you, you mean give an it to ex- the work. A creatively excellent offensive play? Well, it's a good takeaway. I will I give know. you that. I know. And, and, and it's look, and it's a giveaway takeaway to the wrong guy. He it's took an the, opportunity and ran with it. I yep. mean, at if, if we're going off of at the time, you're going off of at the time a guy with eight goals in the playoffs to this point, who goes in and scores his ninth. You yep. know, like the wrong guy to wrong guy to hand it to, and. This is an interesting. This is, was an interesting game to follow because as much as that goal puts Dallas ahead, it gives them the edge. It's one nothing going to the third period. They didn't score again to make it two nothing until there was seven twelve remaining, with ten minutes left in the third period. I firmly believed that if this thing stayed at one nothing and Seattle got the game tied, that they were winning in overtime. Well, man, you, you want to go one better, so. After Seattle scores this, or um, after Dallas scores the second goal, they're up two nothing. Mm-hmm. With about three, three and a half, three minutes left, mm-hmm. I think somebody called the timeout. I don't know who it was. Seattle, because Dallas started, called the timeout in the final ten seconds. Okay, and they started playing Bon Jovi "Living on a Prayer." <laughs> we're halfway there. Whoa, we're living on a prayer. Yeah. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot of time left in this game. It's a 2 nothing game. If it was 4 nothing or 5 nothing, go for it. We're having fun. 2 nothing. that's a little bold, American Airlines Arena. And then Seattle scored yeah, with, what was it, about 20 seconds left, 30 seconds left? Yeah, 17 seconds 17, left. okay. And at that point... You're nervous, but you're still feeling okay. But I guarantee you that guy who made the decision to play that Bon Jovi went, oh boy. <laughs> I'm scrolling. I'm trying to scroll backwards a little bit because I've got to find, I got to find something that I sent to a buddy of mine during the Boston Florida series that you need, <laughs> that you're going to need to see for bringing that up because it was just too, uh, it was just too funny, um, or it's too funny to not include in this right. anyway. I got to hope I can find it really quick because it's a. It's just it just because it was but, it was hysterical. But. but yeah, while you're looking for that, this Stars team has really found a way to get scoring from everywhere, and 
their top horses are doing a good job of carrying the load and kind of producing in the clutch moments. You know, we talk about Rope Hint scoring that big goal in Game 7. But they are also getting some depth scoring, and it's it's a really nice blend, and Dallas is really kind of clicking. If, if Jake Ottinger, you know, sorts himself out and starts playing like Jake Ottinger in the playoffs last year, they're going to be a tough team to beat. They're going to be a tough out for Vegas. Oh, yeah. No question about it. And I like one of the things that I immediately think of here, it, like, well, and you're bringing, obviously, you're semi referring to the second goal there and who scores that because, again, here's a rookie who, you know, has really emerged and put himself on the map as part of this team's future. I, I, look, I love what Wyatt, what Wyatt Johnston brings to this team. That, that kid has just scored clutch goal after clutch goal and. Honestly, if he scores an overtime winner in the next round, he puts himself in that Smythe conversation because he's clutch. It's not about how many. I just can't wait. When. No, I just can't wait to see what he does from here in his career because, I mean, you're talking the the kid turned twenty a couple of days ago. He just yep. turned twenty, and we're just so we're just scratching the surface on his NHL career. And he's <laughs> he's been outstanding. I found what I was looking okay. for, so I'm going to text it over to you okay. um, because it's too funny not to. Because this is a buddy of mine uh, during the during the Boston series. Um, but either way, um, just in general with this series, like they do have good depth. And again, like I, I want to re bring up the way that they are built, which is just this just this concept of keeping the old core that they didn't have to keep from, you know, you know, they didn't have to keep, I know you're laughing at this because Duncan on Boston fans is great. Okay. Uh, I have a little bit more leeway with this one. I'm not doing complete strangers. Yeah. Go for it. But but they had like, they had every ability to move on from Ben and Sagan a while ago if they wanted to, right? Like, you can make that call and pivot in your franchise and go looking for the new core. You could even do it after you get parts of the new core, after you get Heiskanen, after you get Ottinger, after you get and after you draft and find out what kind of player Jason Robertson is. It's only after the fact, like it, it's only the fact that they've kept them around that makes it better. You know, that they've found these other finds. I mean, your boy over there, Rope Hints, is a second round pick that turned into a key player, obviously. Yep. It's also timing, though, too. It's timing of trades. It's going out and trading to get Joe Pavelski when they did. Going and adding, this year in particular, adding... Man, Joe Dodon- Pavelski's been so good for them. This year in particular, adding Dodonov and adding um, Max Domi. Like, yep. you just did that now, and that gave you something different, too. You know what I mean? Like Adding Dodonov back? Wasn't he there earlier? Or are you thinking of Gurianov? No, I thought Dodonov was there before but either way um he was in yeah. vegas for a little while i might be thinking of his original run in the nhl but uh, regardless Potentially, either uh, way um either way they come through they come out of the the central division here and the stars are a really fun team and they've gotten it from everywhere they've gotten it from right. the front end they've gotten it from the back end like 
on the back end, we're still, you know, we haven't really talked about the fact that Miral Heiskanen is also fantastic defensively. And also you got erotic faxes back there and Essa Lindell and like, I mean, fa- and fax is a forward. I'm sorry. Still. Right. But he's but, been so defensively responsible really... in the bottom six. He might as well be a defenseman, but it's, but it's all, it's all over the place. It's your, like you said, it's Essa Lindell. It's, I mean, they've got a whole list of players. Thomas who are Harley kind of, has been fantastic. Well, exactly. It's, I was about to go there. It's kind of unsung yep. heroes, right? Like and it's, we talk about transitioning and building on the fly. Wyatt Johnson and Thomas Harley. Come on, man. Come and on. And that's the thing. These aren't attractive names. Like, I think Johnson. Thomas Harley it. was. Thomas Harley was in his draft year. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, like, to come up. He, but I'm saying, like, I'm saying, when you look at the roster, he's not the first guy you think of. No. You know, not even close. But that's but exactly you who stepped up. Yep. You know, and it even goes down to it's guys who haven't played in every game in the series, you know, or in, in the playoffs. You know, between Hockenpah, Hanley, Miller, like they got Kivy this whole list. Like, I mean, Kiwi Rant is up front, yeah. and that's that's another guy up front. Up front, um, yeah. You want to you want to add a defenseman to the mix uh, that I think is oft forgot is oft forgotten in this group. Who again, much like Joe Pavelski, kind of falls in line. How about Ryan Suter? Yep. Like revival, right? Yep. Like absolutely. Well, he was left for dead when he left Minnesota. Yep. And how and about that come, revival? And he you comes know, and just slots into a very good team and turns out that's a good thing. And a, and, and a forward that I don't want to gloss over in the middle of all of this, by the way, because we've mentioned, yeah. I think, just about every other name that's right up at the top here, kind of. Mason Marchman's been really good in this wow, series. You didn't even mention the name I thought you were going to mention. Tyler Sagan is also Well, no, no, great. no. I've, I, well, because I said Sagan in bed that is, in the, that is in the fair. poor that is thing. Fair. So that I did fair. mention him. Like I'm not. I'm not thinking. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm. I'm trying to keep in mind. Okay. Like, like throw in Mason Marchman too, because he's been really good. I mean, Mason Marchman's among like in goal scoring anyway. He's one of the top, pretty much one of the top five guys in scoring goal wise for the team. As Jason Kelsey would say, it's the whole team. It really is with them, though, isn't it's, it? It really is. Honestly, okay. Conference finals. Yes, we're into the conference finals. Dallas against Vegas. Let's stay here. Let's stay in the West. Dallas-Vegas. We, we yes. just talked about the Dallas Stars. We broke down the Vegas night, the Golden Knights right before them. <laughs> Vegas will have home ice in this series. Games 1, yes, 2, and then 5 and 7, if necessary, will be in Vegas. Kevin, who you got? I'm going to take – This is, I mean, this is a tough call. I feel like I feel a little weird. I don't have it going seven. It feels like it should go seven, to be honest. I don't have it going seven for a reason because I think that the team, I think that the team that's going to win is going to win on home ice. So I'm picking Dallas. So it's inter- it's interesting that you say that because I have a very strange feeling that this series is actually going to end with the road team winning. It. I mean, that's been a trend in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. And the I whole have the playoffs. And I have the Dallas Stars in seven. Okay, I, I have I them mean, coming into coming into the fortress. Game seven, conference <laughs> finals, and Jake Ottinger, sixty save double overtime. Ooh, <laughs> I I will say by the way, I do have to add in there that did that not feel like that game seven against Seattle? Did that not felt feel like, it was like going overtime? No, did it not feel like exercising some demons from the game seven a year ago, where it's like this is Jake Ottinger, you know, the way that night. he's played all year, and he just knew like. He had the big game when he needed to have the big game. You do you know? think – maybe not now, but in a couple of weeks after the season's over, do you think he's going to be annoyed about that 17 seconds – that goal with 17 seconds left? Um, probably not. Shout out. I mean, probably not either way, especially if he's playing in a Stanley Cup final potentially. But like, That's fair. 
Um, or, or celebrating a Stanley Cup the victory. Right. But the interesting part is that that's actually my probably my biggest key to the series. You know, with you know, Vegas has been able to, you know, maybe, you know, I'm going to say no pun kind of intended here, but Vegas has kind of been a magic act with the goaltending in the playoffs where it's just right. like anybody they throw in there has been able to be great. And I'm not trying to take away from what Aiden Hill just did in the last couple of games to get them there. But I just want, I just wonder if, first of all, I wonder if a, what happens if something happens to him and what's the next step? Then you go to Jonathan Quick, who's been sitting on the bench for three series. Like that's tough. If right. you got to go there, um, the other part is it, it's just Ottinger's got this when it comes down to the biggest games, it's lockdown time. I, I mean, was, he I did was it just against Minnesota that. and he did it against Seattle. Here's the thing about this series Dallas isn't relying on Jake Ottinger. They're honestly, they're not even relying on Jake Ottinger as much as they were last year. They're not relying on Jake Ottinger to steal them four games. They're not relying. They don't need to rely on Jake Ottinger to steal them three games. They can probably beat Vegas three times out of six on their own. They only sure. This feels like the kind of series where they're going to need Jake Ottinger to steal them one game. Yeah. And it is very likely that that is game six or game seven when your back's against the wall or when you're trying to win the series. Or it is very likely that that's the game that they're going to need Jake Ottinger to steal for them. And so far in his career, Jake Ottinger has done that. And at, you know, 23 years old or whatever, however old he is, he's very young. Uh, it's a very small sample size, but every single time he's been in a situation where he has the opportunity to come up clutch, he has done so. Um, I, I'm going to put the Dallas Stars back in the Stanley Cup Finals in seven games. Here's something in, like, and I, we just kind of brought this up recently, but, it, but think about this. What was the most lopsided game in the Seattle-Dallas series? Uh, 5-1, 6-1. It was the seven two in game three. Oh, seven Seattle. two. I'm and, sorry. Yeah, and yeah. Seattle won, right? That was, and of course, that was after you know, take Miro Heiskanen off the ice. That can happen, right? If they keep, that's the way you're going to beat Vegas because Vegas is going to come at you in waves with different line combinations, and they've been able to like, kind of wear teams down with the wave. Like, like think about it. If it's not. Stevenson, Eichel, Stone, then it's Carlson, Smith, and Marcia. So, and if it's not them, then it's going to be, you know, comes I ways. don't know, you know, it like take your pick on the depth guys. It's going to be like yep. Keegan Colsar, you know, and stuff like, like, like you're going to get these guys who show up, right? Like that's the way it's been the entire playoff. If you can weather the storm and be that structure in front of Otten, like Ottinger's going to have to make some big saves. It's going to sure. happen in any series. But sure. if you play Vegas the just too structure, but if you play the defensive structure, and the one thing I will say is that, you know, really the only games that Dallas lost like that were, all right, a little shell-shocked in game one, four goals in the first period, and then locked it down until overtime, by the way. Seven in game three without your best defenseman on the ice. And six in game six where Seattle's backs were against the wall at home, and they came out with an energy that obviously – got to you pretty quickly but otherwise Dallas was overwhelmed in that game right but otherwise I'm looking at a bunch of scores where it's you're defending well and I go look at the I look at Vegas Edmonton and it's like you know this is the offense for Edmonton is what they could do with McDavid and Dreisaitl right you know now imagine a team that's got depth coming at you again like coming at you in waves again like right. like Realistically. The, thing is, the thing is, you can match Stone and 
you know, kind of, you can match with McDavid and Dreisaitl. You run out of right. ammo trying to match with Hints and Robertson and Ben and Sagan and Johnston and, 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 and. Right. Well, because realistically speaking, what series has Vegas played where the level of depth or, or something, you know, at the top hasn't disappeared? Like, yeah. For goodness, you know, for goodness sake, we've got Rick Bonus telling you after the Winnipeg series, no all, all right, all the top guys had no pushback. Yep. And so nobody showed like it's as if to say nobody the, showed up. The Vegas Golden Knights dropped a, a nuke into the middle of that team. That's right. that's an ugly situation. Right. And then and then they play Edmonton, and after a certain point, you realize it's McDavid Drysaddle, McDavid Drysaddle, McDavid Drysaddle, and, and what happened? And what happened to everybody else? And oh, by the way, like the only way we're going to even be in this series is. To throw out like Evan Bouchard is taking three minute shifts at the end of game six, trying to find a way to make it work because and, and Evan Bouchard has been was great for the Edmonton Oilers. By the way, we kind of glossed over that when we talked about them earlier, but he has he really was come out as a young emerging defenseman for them. Overall body of work, great. I think it was I think it was in game. Fair. I believe it was in game. It might have been game one. He had a moment where he like. He had a Travis Sanheim moment. His feet That's just go right fair. out from under him. And, and it look, it, it happens sometimes. I'm not just play, placing the blame on him, but he had some ugly moments in that series because it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't what he was able to do against L.A. It was a different right. kind of team coming at you. This was like this was the team with the most points in the Western Conference. Right. And boy, did they look like it, you know, and and I'm, gl- I'm glad that this is the matchup that we get, you know, that you get. A, a number, a division winner, a top team in the Western Conference, and Dallas, who was basically in the running for the division in the Central, and, yeah, and could have if, easily won it. If Vegas and Edmonton are the two best teams in the West, and that matchup, you know, would be the best Western Conference final, I think this is probably about the second best matchup we could have come up with coming into the playoffs. Coming um, into the playoffs, yeah. Right. I'm definitely super happy with where we're at on this one. Um, <laughs> now on the other side of things, this okay, is not exactly this is not exactly the bracket final uh, I think a lot of us had here. Uh, I will take credit. I did have Carolina sitting here, but not a whole lot of people had the team out of Florida. Uh, Carolina and Florida. Carolina will be the home team. Uh, Florida's halfway there. Has the magic run out? Have they finally run out of steam from beating Boston? Or is Carolina just a better team? Like I, Here's my thing. I'm looking at this series, and I don't see a path to victory for the Florida Panthers. But I also right. said that in the first two rounds. <laughs> so I don't want to overlook magic. I don't want to overlook your your George Mason run in the st- – in the, you know. Right. No, I got you. But – Carolina, like we said before, Carolina should win here. If if Florida beats Carolina, they should win the Stanley Cup. It's a destiny thing. They're rolling. They're not going to lose. Bet on. Bet the house on them. But uh, please bet responsibly. But when- if but if Carolina wins, like they probably should, then we have a real series in the finals. Let me ask you this: When in the last series, the the Toronto, the Florida Toronto series? Is it just after game one that you're already thinking something, or does it? Take it was the game? five minutes into game three. Okay, fair enough. When when but Florida's th- up two nothing in the series, and they're up two nothing in game three, the series ended then. That Florida, okay. Toronto broke in half. My see, and my answer is a little different than yours. It's not. 
it wasn't after game one, so I'll agree with you there. But for me, it was okay. They're up 2-0. Now I know, you know, this isn't like an up 2-0 after winning two on the road. Well, Toronto's I, in trouble. I and, think I think the fact that they were up 2-0 after two games and then Toronto came out and gave up two goals in the first five minutes of game three that really like like I my had my hand hovering over the panic button at 2-0 and then two goals in five minutes and I smashed it. <laughs> um that's like because what I'm where I'm with you with this is that it was such an underwhelming effort in Game Three from Toronto, even though they were in the game. Like it gets to overtime, it just was underwhelming. It didn't feel like a team that needed to be playing with that level of desperation. And and the the Leafs were getting outplayed. Like they were never going to win right. that game. Just um, watching it, different. Like because I'm with you. I I I think Carolina is poised at this point to make it. I'm not gonna complete like you. You know my you know my rule on this. I'm having it go seven because it's a coin flip to me. I like, can't count out the destiny team. Well, exactly, and it's apparent who it is at this point. Like yeah. now, you're down to the point where it's like, okay, division winner, division winner could have been a division winner. And Look at and the then wild the team, card, and then the team who saved their playoffs with their third string goalie over the last three weeks of their season, who also continued to play great through round one. And also here comes Bob and he's back to Vezina winning form somehow after being terrible all year. We're (laughs) writing a Disney movie. Like we're writing the Disney movie. And that's why I'm saying if, if the Florida Panthers win here, I promise I'm saying this on the show. If the Florida Panthers beat the Carolina hurricanes, I will not pick against them in the Stanley cup final. (laughs) That being said, hurricanes in five. In five. Wow. Five. Right, I'm gonna five, I'm gonna five. say I'm gonna say here what I said right before the Devils series. The Carolina Hurricane Hurricanes are the better team. They should win this series. They should dominate essentially every aspect, except maybe goaltending. I might give Florida the edge there. <laughs> I will not be surprised if we're sitting here on our next show talking about a Florida Panther Stanley Cup final appearance. But I have the Hurricanes in five as my actual pick. And I'm gonna take. I'm gonna agree with you that I think it's gonna be Carolina, but I'm saying Carolina in seven, seven because I am not. I am not putting anything past the Florida Panthers at this point. I have picked against them twice at this point. I thought I, you know, well, and 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 I'm picking against them here too, you know, in theory. But I'm doing the same. I'm doing the exact same thing with I did your last with year. your game seven coin flip. Uh, well, because and I'm doing the exact same thing I did before, which is which was I had Toronto, but I knew that Florida was going to mean business in that series. And I feel the same way here. I just feel like somehow or other, I feel like there's still non-believers out there, you know, and as such. Yeah, I hear you. I, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. And I, I know I might be wrong, but I've watched Sergei Bobrovsky forget how to play hockey too many times. I'm going to be genuinely curious to see immediately because you know what? I, you want to know what I believe about this series? Truthfully. Carolina is not going to win this series the way they just won the series that they played against New Jersey. If they think okay. that they're going to get shorthanded goals and Jordan Martinook and Jordan Stahl and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, Sebastian Ajo is going to probably have to be the best player on the ice. Storm surge is coming. You know, like, I think that, the, like, that's all I'm saying. And, and of course, do I think he can be that player? Absolutely, I can. He, he was that player against the Islanders. So can he be that player? Of course he can. But I just don't think that you're going to be able to look at this at the end of the day and say, Sebastian Ajo didn't really score much. And, you know, neither did Martin Nakash. Like, that line's going to have to get going. 
You know who gets hit by hurricanes a lot? Florida. Florida. So right. now, now I'm curious about something because you you said something about there. Well, this is obviously the intriguing coaching matchup here is a Paul Maurice, yeah. a longtime coach of Carolina, including coaching Rod Brindamore to the Eastern in Conference 2000, Finals in, in 2002 2000. and 2009. Right. And we all know we well because we all know who the coach was in that other year. Right. <laughs> you know we all know who that that guy was. Right. Um, <laughs> But Rod Brindamore against Paul Maurice, it is very interesting. I, I'm, I imagine they will, you know, will have a conversation about it probably this summer because they're both pretty competitive guys. <laughs> but I imagine they'll go have a drink over it this summer. Uh, but either way, it's going to be super, super intense. You've got, and, I mean, you've got some really fun ones here too because you've yeah. got the like Vegas, Dallas, everybody's already calling it the Pete DeBoer revenge tour. And not a single media market that gets cold at any point in the in No, the I hear you. But listen, well, one thing I can funny. tell you, one thing I'm, one thing I am looking forward to is because now every single, like each game is isolated. So it's one a night when we, once it gets started, Yep. which probably means that because with the way that they've had to bounce around from one to the next to the next all the time, I don't know if we've gotten the Vegas introduction televised yet. I think we're going to start again. Well, so funny. I, I hope so. I would love to see it. Carolina entire... pretty the entire Eastern series, uh, Florida, Carolina is on TNT. The Western series, Dallas, Vegas is on the ESPN family between ESPN, ESPN plus and ABC. Um, game two on ABC is game two Sunday, ABC. That's going to be fun. So, so he, cause I, cause I don't have, look, I don't have a gripe about the, the only gripe I have about the, the Eastern conference final is that it doesn't start tomorrow. It starts on Thursday. Like that's fair. That's, that was my only gripe there, but, the West final, I have the only two gripes I have are Friday at eight thirty, kind of sucks, and games. If it goes seven games, game seven would be at nine o'clock on a Wednesday night, which I think again, like it's a little kind of for a little ridiculous. Well, it's just a little ridiculous. I can't tell you how much though I love the idea of Sunday afternoon at three o'clock. That's gonna be fantastic. Sorry, These two, are, two o'clock Central time. I'm a and I, look, I'm I'm kind of pumping the tires on the Vegas intro thing. I love what Dallas does too with the giant star coming down from the seat. Like, I hope we see all of it. Please do all of it. I, I mean, think we're going to. I think we're going to see a lot of it. I mean, the only thing that would have been cooler is you know if you would have gotten the All Expansion Bowl. You know, like fair enough. And Seattle's because Seattle. I did catch what Seattle, Seattle did against on Vegas would have been cool. I did catch what Seattle did on uh, YouTube for their intro. By the way, did you, very. Did you, catch, with, did you catch what Carolina did at the end of Game Five? No, I didn't see this. They posted a video on Twitter, and it was a bunch. It was a uh, celebratory, like a celebrity uh, congratulations package. Oh, I did see this. And it was all notable figures from New Jersey. Yes, I did see this. Hilarious. Good job, Carolina. Congratulations on making it to the next round. Great job. Hilarious. Go I look loved, it up. I, I loved the ones that were talking to somebody as if their name was Carolina. <laughs> Hello, Carolina. Yeah, I know. <laughs> cameo cameo is a is an unhinged area. That but was, anyway. That was good. But maybe, yeah, like listen, if you want us to get on Cameo, let us know. You can tweet us at YWC <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> if people really want me on Cameo, then like listen, I'll look, I'll take the money. Might right. not be if, much, but I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Uh, on if, that note, if you're looking to hear our voices more, it's not going to be on Cameo this week, but we will be back 
after the conference finals for our next show. It'll be before the Stanley Cup final begins. If you're looking uh, to hear my voice more. I'll get. I'm gonna get back to the video thing. I kind of took a bit of okay. a. Okay. I kind of took a bit of a hiatus in the middle of the playoffs because I wasn't exactly glued to every game in the past week. Fair and, enough. Well, between Flyers news and wedding stuff, it's like you know, it's enough. So absolutely, and uh, make sure to follow us everywhere for all of our stuff on that. Uh, Twitter at YWT Podcast. Kevin's at Kevin underscore Durso. Also at Kevin underscore Durso on Instagram. That's where he's doing a bunch of his playoff stuff. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks. You can find the show everywhere you find your podcast. Facebook, Instagram, Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SportstalkPhilly.com. We are everywhere. We will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about the Stanley Cup final and maybe the draft. We'll figure the rest out. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll start talking a little bit more about the draft. Flyers have the seventh overall pick. Danny Briere and Keith Jones are in town now. <laughs> it's a strange time to be a Flyers fan. It's a new era orange. We'll be back in a couple weeks. We'll see ya.